Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fanfiction analysis podcast, a subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. I am your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Hello. All right. So this week we covered chapters 56, 57, and 58. Brian, we're playing this organic, kind of, since okay. we didn't really talk about what we're going to talk about beforehand, but we have notes. So I'll ask you right off to get our brain in gear. What was your favorite part of these three chapters? Favorite part? I felt, uh, I don't know if there's like a, a part, but the, uh, it just, it felt like, like we went from. Favorite thing works My favorite, like, the, it, it felt like we went from like Mission Impossible to like Dungeons and Dragons in a way. Yeah. So I kind of like that. I dug that. It's nice. still, it's been all very like, it's, it's very action packed. I kind of dig that because you just kind of get lost in it. So these weren't very thinky chapters. They were just cool. Yeah. For the most part, I think you're totally right. I, uh. I, I don't know. I'm having a, I mean, we'll hit the beats as they come up, but they are, there's a lot of jumping back and forth from the, I don't know, whatever, I guess you call it the, the police headquarters, even though that's moving yeah. through the, the prison as well. And then back to Harry. But I love just something about every scene where Dumbledore shows, like he shows up like a, like just a total boss. And then he just walks off to go do his thing. And mm. for all anyone knows, he's walking off into a, I don't know, a, a, complete regiment of people here to break out Bellatrix Black and he's just without a word and without a concern he just comes in leaves goes off checks it out comes back he's like all right well I'm gonna go look out again and just and then he walks through their wards and they just mention how he just walks through them like water yeah and just something about the like he throws off every pretense of being like the kind yeah. of the old Gandalf and is just every bit the ancient fucking badass that has this reputation I know it's like, at least for me, he also, and I don't know if it's just because I got this idea in my head and I'm running with it or whatever, but it seemed so, yes, all that and being super powerful, but also like something like he's less nice. So he, he seems like a lot more, th- it's almost, it's like alarming. It's like, oh my God, this guy is really powerful and I'm not entirely sure he's on our side anymore. So Ooh. it's like, okay, this could be bad. And then we're, as I'm like thinking about it, the, because the image I had of it, not like an actual image, but just like the vibe in my head was that he was like literally larger than life. I mean, it didn't fit into the plot or make any sense, but that like, like, the, like it's an eight foot tall Dumbledore walking. I know, like he right? is this like giant, just intimidating. And I was, I guess maybe it's sort of that like effortless, like he's not at all trying to be way more powerful than anybody else in the room. He just is. And as I'm saying that, I'm realizing it was a uh, weird I think my my brain latched onto what was that? Uh, it was a recent like st- late 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 sequel to Aliens, uh, Prometheus, prone something like that. If it was Prometheus and not the one after that, I think I saw Prometheus. I can't. Yeah, I think it was that one. But where the, this makes no sense. But the uh, where the, they were like the aliens were like human looking, but they were all giant like that. So that, oh, that yeah. was the weird like that almost. Yeah, I guess sort of in a, in a Hagrid kind of way too. Not like he was like just like just that you increased his size by you know seventy five percent. His kept all the proportions the same. Yeah, he was like he's just this like yeah. I don't know what that means, but yeah, no, it was I just like it. he's this like. Yeah, but to me, like, there was something more sinister underneath all of it, too, though. Uh, maybe because of, like, the way that um, Amelia Bones does not like him. Uh, but, yeah, the whole thing is like, oh, fuck. Like, it, I guess, like, the underlying tone was, is this guy going to be a problem? Because he would be a really bad problem. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll have to see. Side note, I hated the movie Prometheus. Yeah, it was um, not so good. Yeah. But, but it, <laughs> it was visually kind of cool. But. Yeah, I mean, there's that. There, I think as long as we're talking shit movies, 
a really pretty movie that I really hated was I actually I think it's all three of the same by the same directors or same writers or whatever. It was The Witch spelled with two V's, um, and then Hereditary, and then uh, Midsommar. I think that I think Midsommar is by the same people who made those first two movies, and I hated all of them. Hereditary had at least had like a good creepy vibe going right up until like the last fifteen minutes, and then. I don't know, but but as far as pretty, the shots in The Witch uh, were stunning. And same with uh, Midsommar. I thought I it I, was I visually I great, but I hated both of those movies. Of those. I haven't seen any of those. Th- and I see a lot of movies. Eh, I think I'm my, somewhat filtered by the I, ones I can't I bet I get some kickback, so. but like, because they're acclaimed, <laughs> I just, I didn't like them. Like, especially with The Witch, I can't understand a thing anyone's saying. They're like super low voices. And I saw it in a theater. Maybe the, the bass was too high, but like really thick accents, super low voices, talking quiet. And there's no music and there's no action going on. It's just like, dude, talk audibly. And so, all right, well, I'm going to just I going to wa- be watching a foreign film, I guess, while I watch this without subtitles. And then <laughs> what plot there was just sucked. But visually, it was a stunning movie. So, all right. I'll, Everyone I'll take on that board recognition to hate <laughs> Oh, speaking of... Uh, people on the hate train there was a good uh, conversation on the discord about um <laughs> <laughs> you were talking the about train. the uh the defense professor's like show of superpowers and why wasn't anyone raising their eyebrows at that mm-hmm. and i forget who it was I, I definitely when i sent it to you i sent you the um the person's name so i wouldn't forget and then i subsequently forgot but uh like they, they mentioned that like if if i'm playing chess against a grandmaster or just like a regular expert I wouldn't be able to tell the difference because they both beat me 100% of the time and I'd be just as stumped by all of their victories. So like if you're starting from the bottom, like especially as a student and you see core level power versus professor sprout level power, you might be like, Oh, okay. That's what adult magic looks like. But the, the gap from great, like sprout, assuming that she's at least a great teacher. I chose the weakest one from Canon, right. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, professor quarrel. Like from a novice level, maybe those both just look like, oh, that's impressive. Yeah, and, I, and uh, what I said when you said that was that, uh, like that argument works for why these students wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But most, like the teachers are all, and and we know that like the teachers are maybe not you know the most badass in the world, but they are pretty badass. They are good enough to know that this guy's way, way better. And then if Dumbledore is theoretically like in a tie for the most powerful wizard in the world, he definitely should know that something's up with that guy. Yeah, so. I think they've just got 50 years of of, of uh, precedent to not think critically about the defense professor. <laughs> I, I like the idea that it's just some sort of like it's Voldemort gun of Voldemort. Like I like that too. He's, he's, so, he's so powerful that he can just like Jedi mind trick people into not thinking about it. Nice. Well, I can dig it. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because that was a fun discussion. So everyone keep in mind, there's a discord that talks about this book once in a while. So let's see, let's dive in here. Chapter 56, constrained optimization, which is, so if you read the full chapter, it's a mouthful. Chapter 56, the Stanford prison experiment, constrained optimization, part six. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right. They they each get their own little sub chapter title. Like a handful of them do, not all of them even, but uh, in any case, so basically this one opens up with Harry walking down. They're, they're just buying time moving down in Azkaban, basically. And he's just kind of freaking out where he's going to lose his mind if he has to keep walking past all these cells and keeping his chill in front of Bellatrix. And, um, Worried about running into a gelatinous cube. Right. They're around every corner. <laughs> 
That's why I like it all. It, 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 I think, probably because of the dungeon thing. It started feeling very Dungeons and Dragons-y. I think maybe the author had that vibe too, because yeah. that's another thing that these three chapters did is they got like it, it's still serious, heavy shit's going on, but there's like it's the only part since basically they started the mission and Harry's thinking I'm going to have an adventure that there's been any like sort of comedy. Um, yeah, I, I'm I really think of how to how to articulate exactly like the whole thing with you know him having fun on accidentally on purpose putting that label on his broomstick and mm-hmm. and thinking all these things. It's like okay, he's Maybe just trying, you know, maybe it's a, an artifact of, of Harry trying to keep his mind light because he's now unshielded in front of the Dementors. But I think it's more just like, this is fun. This is a hilarious thing. Let's just yeah. have a good time with this. So, Yeah, I think a lot of that, yeah, probably just like as he's writing it, he's like, oh, that would be funny. And it just kind of works. I think so. I like what I noticed about this and probably what, what added to the Dungeons and Dragons sense to it was that there was a, because I'm really bad at but like visuals or like anything like the physical reality of what's being described, I just gloss over. But this one did a really good job. Like the sense of space and the sense of them being down in the bottom and the cops being up near the roof and kind of the, and the going back and forth. So there's like, it worked for me really well to give, give it a sense of like being in a real place with like position, uh, relationships between things that actually mattered um and i think that kind of added to the whole like D D vibe to it because you can almost like picture like the graph paper that maps all this out <laughs> i love it yeah um anyway so while harry's reminiscing he has this brief uh well he but he doesn't get a chance to encounter in gelatinous cube instead he encounters professor mcgonagall's patronus who just shows up and yells at him well not yells at him but yells to him and freaks him out I know. That also felt very uh, Star Wars, like a the Star Wars hologram. Right. <laughs> I'm amazed they didn't have space cell phones in the, mm-hmm. the Star Wars universe, but I guess they didn't have them in the 70s. So, um, Well, space cell phones, we don't have those now. Thank <laughs> you for the dance. <laughs> um, anyway, so the Patronus shows up, and it's like, Harry, where are you? Are you all right? This is my Patronus. Answer me. And it, it all feels just like this kind of emergency message. Well, mm-hmm. it is, but like the way that it runs on very quickly. Yeah, and, and it's like she like, it's, like pops in like she's in the middle of like running off to somewhere else right and it i that's something i like about um you know that her or quarrel mentioned the military advantage of being able to you know use patronuses and harry mm-hmm. tried to sell draco on that to teach him the patronus as well and it's not something that on its face has that much value but when it when you think about it and there aren't other easy ways to communicate with people at distance in the harry potter universe like the idea like, hey, this will find him wherever he is and, and deliver and we can communicate. Uh, I think we take that for granted now, but that is that is a huge superpower, right? That'd be handy for just calling people to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> like we use cell phones. I mean, exactly. but if you, if you and a small circle of friends are the only ones who could text in 1991, that'd be kind of a, a huge perk, right? Well, that's true. That's true. Or even make phone calls if you're not at home. So anyway. It's kind of funny because Harry has to like kind of switch out his personality to talk back to it. Yeah. And, and then he's just like, he hoped like hell that McGonagall didn't notice the problem thanks to the communications delay. Just like he hoped like hell Patronuses didn't report on their surroundings, which <laughs> it's, I, apparently they can't because she doesn't say what the hell are you doing in Azkaban. Um, but it, it's, yeah. I just, whole, it's one of those is, things. Imagine thought... how, how quickly the mission could have been brought down if the cat goes back to uh Professor McGonagall and says he's in Azkaban. Azkaban. What the hell's up with that? Yeah, the whole the whole thing. I was surprised, like how much anxiety it was able to 
provoking me like i'm like oh shit he's gonna get caught and then like like then the lies he's like telling her i'm like oh this is just all fucked up like you're getting you're so gonna get busted it's funny because like everything else that's going on that's like pretty trivial in comparison but there's something about that like oh you're gonna get busted by mcgonagall yeah not the uh the army of military (laughs) not not the not the military band sneaking down on you from above uh it's gonna be it's gonna be your teacher mm-hmm. um anyway he lies and he's like oh, i'm in the bathroom at mary's place what's up and then it goes off and comes back and then she's like i'm picking up right now don't go anywhere if you're around the defense professor don't go back to him don't say anything to anyone i'll be there as quickly as i can and i like how i mean the defense professor thing again i just read that as she's been teaching there for 50 years and she's mm-hmm. like all right every fucking time it's the defense professor just standard policy stay away from him when shit's going down well, no, I, I mean, I took that as, and then I f- like forgot all about it because of everything else that happens after this, but that like, that's a, oh, they know, they know something or they think they know something about Coral um, and we don't know what it is. Uh, although it's one of those, no time to tell, no time to explain quick. Um, yeah, I think, I think both work. I honestly, I think yours is more likely. That's just like my, my version yeah. of it with reading it is like, they've, they are just, it's, it's just a built-in thing of Hogwarts. Like on Mondays, the stairs are this way, and every day defense professor is a is a hazard. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's there's a part, too, that I called out in the notes, and you didn't... Oh, you did. You said you're a plot hole. Well, thank you. So <laughs> after... So she, she says, you know, I'll come pick you up right now. So then he looks down at his watch after the cat leaves, and so he can get the time so that he can anchor the time turner and go back to exactly the bathroom at that exact time when uh she's supposed to pick him up and i called out that hey plot hole call my lawyer he's invisible he shouldn't be able to see his watch but can't it's not been covered like when you're invisible you can like see everything that is invisible like because that would because yeah that would be a problem all the time oh damn you know what maybe that's a good point maybe he's just invisible to other people yeah i think i think on like when it was played in the movies i think it was like they could see they could when it was like all three of them under the cloak they could they could see each other while they were under it so it's like you're in in like an invisible like your bubble is invisible but you can see inside it yeah that makes sense i think and the other thing too is that this this one was described differently from the one in canon um and that explains why he and bellatrix couldn't both hide under it is that this is like an actual cloak that you put on with a hood Mm -hmm. um it's not a uh a big blanket like the one in the movies I also read once that if you if you were really invisible so that all light was just passing right through you, that you everything would be completely dark. Yes, that is another really good point. It wouldn't hit your retina. Yeah. That's again why I pay used to just not think about these things too hard. Or think about them exactly hard enough. <laughs> exactly hard. There's a great movie that if you don't know it's about invisibility, well, maybe I shouldn't name it then. Maybe it's too late. It was, it was a fun movie. Um, it was called, uh, it just came out this year, the Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. um, well, you, the fact that it's about invisibility is kind of not a, much of a spoiler. Yeah, I saw that was really good, actually. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I think the only reason I mentioned that if you didn't know that it involved an invisible person, like, I don't know what I would have called it instead, but, like, for the first half of the movie, you don't know if it's a ghost movie, you don't know if it's, uh, oh, yeah, you don't know if, if she's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, like, that whole thing played differently because you knew from the name of the movie that, oh, he actually is invisible, so... And then between that and Kevin Bacon's Hollow Man from the early 2000s, uh, we've got some, some Another good movie examples, I managed people. to skip. Huh? Another movie I managed to skip. You didn't miss anything with that one. Exactly. Um, anyway, so then 
basically he's like, all right, well, shit. Okay, I got to make sure I'm back in the bathroom on time. And his brain is just kind of like narrating for him. And he's like, mm. you know, said the problems said the problem solving part of his brain. <laughs> There's a limit to how many constraints you can add to a problem before it really is impossible. You know that. <laughs> I know that's like a new thing in these last few chapters is him arguing with himself. Yeah, I think it's just like his internal critic, mm-hmm. I kind of imagine. Um, then, there, I mean, this little bit before it switches back to the, uh, um, we need to think of just a, a shorthand for the horror team. But something the cops. Funny. Let's just call them yeah. the cops. All right. Yeah, perfect. So before it switches back to the cops, this is just like kind of like a little semi-light thing here where Harry's thinking it shouldn't have mattered. And it really didn't. It didn't compare to the suffering of a single prisoner in Azkaban. And Harry still found himself feeling very aware that if his plan didn't end with him being picked up from Mary's place, just like he had never left, and the defense professor looking completely innocent of any and all wrongdoing, Professor McGonagall was going to kill him. (laughs) I know, that was was exactly the feeling I had. It's like, uh, oh, you're going to be in so much trouble with mom. (laughs) We could be killed, or worse, expelled. (laughs) That will never not be funny. All right. So, so then back to the cops. We back to the cops. And that's and then and then Dumbledore shows up and this is where it's where um uh, no, 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 Amelia Bones is like ah fuck. All right, is this or did we already hit that? This is where she's like she's she doesn't say it out loud but she's like okay, which one of my people like narked? Yeah, that's on that's this one. We yeah. since we read this one for last episode, I think we're getting our wires crossed yeah. a little bit because I think we mentioned that last week. But yeah, that's that's here. Um, um and uh I also just like too how this this mentions again that Phoenix travel was one of the one of the fast ways in, but there were no fast ways out. Mm-hmm. I just I, I like the fact yeah. that I think we get that at least two or three times just makes the security of this place yeah. just drive home, driven home, right? Yeah. And this is again like when like Dumbledore showed up. I think because the because his Phoenix is actually described as being very large, like his um, his Patronus his. Patronus Phoenix. Uh, and I think that like added to the sense of like, just like Dumbledore being physically big. Yeah. And then too, she like uh, the other, we were talking about just power ladders before he cast his Patronus wordlessly. And that's the first time Amelia Bones mm-hmm. has ever seen that. And it, so like, he just comes in, he's doing impossible shit. And he, he's just immediately, he's none of this like, Oh, well, you know, kindly old man, what can I do? He's just, uh, he jumps in and he's like, I hope I'm, you know, hope I'm not unwelcome. We're all on the same side, are we not? And then I it, know this is such a weird, creepy vibe to it because he's all like still super friendly and being all Dumbledore. But I don't know, there's just some kind of like Stepford wife kind of vibe underneath it. Like, <laughs> like this, this friendliness, niceness is not at all real. I, I, the way I'm, I'm reading it and I don't want to color your reading of it at all, but um, I get the feeling that he fucking hates it here and like, cause it, he, there's a thing that I think in the next chapter where he mentions something along those lines, um, not, not in those words, but he, he gives that indication and, uh, he, I think he's stressed out being here and he's again, this line here, um, she asks him like, well, are you here to help us catch criminals or to protect them from the consequences of their actions? Mm-hmm. And he's like, even less than you, when I see Bellatrix Black freed, she must not leave this prison alive, Amelia. I know, and the, we'll see that, that that line was a big part of of why because that was a very undumbledore line because he could have said like you know she cannot be allowed to leave at any cost or you know something like that but he says cannot be allowed to leave alive was that's a little sinister for a Dumbledore phrase. It is. Um, it makes it sound and like a killer. Yeah, and well, yeah, no, I mean he's pretty much saying that like you know if you if killing her is the only way that she can't leave, then okay, we'll do it. Um, 
but yeah, it's, and I think like, and it was, I think, a like a big, con- I think that was another one of those like slap in the face kind of, kind of moments where like, okay, this is very different from, cause it like, that doesn't feel to me like something that the, the original Dumbledore ever would have said, like he would have like tried to be a lot more, you know, grandpa about it. Um, but yeah, this one had like a, and it was like a not very obviously stated, like a, like a sinisterness to it. Like, oh yeah, no, we'll kill her if we need to. But then like more creepy because it like, cause he still said it like all nice and polite. Um, which just makes it creepier. So, I mean, as nice as you can say, she must not leave alive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I, and you know, he does the, um, as far as him being nice and Dumbledore, like the next thing that he says is have all your orders cancel the Patronus charms for 10 seconds. What darkness cannot find the light may, which is a very Dumbledoreism and doesn't no. sound at all sinister. Um, it, it's the, like the exact opposite and it works. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I, I I don't actually, I don't even know how much like I am now editing my own memories of how I even read it in the moment. But like, to me that like, then that kind of like the light may find it, blah, 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 um, starts to sound like, you know, invasion of the body snatchers. Like, Oh, he doesn't even really mean that. Like, that's a very dramatic good guy thing to say. And now I'm not entirely sure I believe (laughs) the whole thing. And I don't even know, like we don't even have anything really to go on about like don't I know I go in a little bit I don't know the whole thing's like it's it's unsettling in a cool way like I don't know what the hell to make of Dumbledore right now Um, it's Voldemort it's all the way down (laughs) exactly yeah that's like I don't get that vibe yeah I don't know what the fuck is going yeah it's a weird dude yeah and it's also because and I think because in like the back like where you file Dumbledore in the back of your head is like he's you know a nuclear bomb but don't worry he's on our side and then, but like, so you're not at all like on guard about the fact that he's a nuclear bomb. And now that you're like, oh, wait a minute, is he not on our, what the fuck? We got, he, that dude's a nuclear bomb. <laughs> so uh, like, like that whole like vibe going on underneath is kind of fun. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, he, so basically he has this Patronus. Um, he, he can communicate with it. I guess they can nod, but it can't mm-hmm. talk, which is, makes sense because it's a phoenix. Yeah. Um, well, doesn't he sort of like, it seems like he's got like, you know, silent telepathy with it or something yeah i think in some some regard but like yeah. it does nod to him and shake yeah. his head and stuff so it's semi i mean that is if you want to be pedantic silent telepathy but um <laughs> i don't know what's got me thinking pedantically just, right now <laughs> just like raising your hand is uh silent telekinesis right the power or like of my words mind. or verbal telepathy <laughs> so yes. he asks it uh, is there another Patronus still present? And it nods. Can you find it? It nods. Will you remember it? Should it depart and come again? And it and it nods again. And he says, "All right, it's it's done. You can have your auras recast the Patroni." And uh, he just goes marching off. Well, I guess no, not yet. It jumps to uh, jumps to Harry, and so like we get like these really quick oh, yeah. line breaks for kind of just scene flash, scene flash. Yeah. And I thought this was kind of fun how Harry's Patronus just like politely raises its hand. Yeah, like like he's in class or something. Yeah, which to me, funny. so that that seems more like the psychic communication thing because it knew, like, which is weird. It knew, um, hey, I shouldn't talk in front of Bellatrix because my I sound like Harry Potter, yeah. right? Yeah, it, like it brought up all kinds of questions for me. It's like, well, so then is it a person? Like, can it think, or is it just like a part of Harry's brain outside of him? Or like, I'm like, well, what does this mean? The fact that it can talk. I, well, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, yeah. the fact that it can talk is one thing, but it's it's delivering messages that like he wants to hear himself. That he didn't. Yeah. It's one thing to like have it be a you know a messenger pigeon for you. Mm-hmm. 
there's another thing entirely for it to be aware that it's being tracked to be like i should tell my my mm-hmm. caster about this uh, it's more like a familiar than a yeah. just like a shield spell right yeah yeah no it's a really mean like i'm like oh, this is i wonder how this is going to play out later like that's a that's a big a big feature that, that, that has a lot of implications on the plot like that the that the patronus can sort of act of its own volition and and be smart like that could that could come in handy that could come in handy i wonder i guess we don't see anyone doing this but my first immediate thought um like i'm trying to think if this ever happens in the canon books but i don't remember every patronus in that but like in theory the most the easiest thing you could have this thing do is stand guard somewhere yeah. and then if it sees something it could just teleport to you and be like hey someone's you know coming down the hallway right oh uh, yeah. yeah yeah and that's i mean that's sort of what the orbs were doing like they it was it was their patronuses that was like hey something's up and they're like oh but yeah we didn't it wasn't they weren't using it to much effect because they were just kind of in the room with them so it was like they, sus- were, they were looking out the window so that they could be staring at their cards yeah and i suspect that if they were uh patronus 2.0 versions they could talk to their casters and being like something weird is happening down there i think yeah. that's another big patronus right yeah um i'm just just guessing I can't. Uh, what they said. I can't. When it, what was it? That I can't now remember what what triggered them. Their patronuses were all just staring down. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like they weren't able to communicate anything. Other it was than because of that. Harry's. It was Harry's patronus that was. Oh, they didn't. Okay, yeah. I I'm, yeah. I think I edited that memory in my head that they were like, oh, hey, boss, something's up. But it was more that they were acting odd and the ors noticed. Right. Yeah. So. Anyway, Harry's so. uh, Patronus says, there is another Patronus which seeks this Patronus. And Harry's like, what? Can you stop it? Block it? Can you block it? Can you stop it from finding you? And it just shakes its head. And then jump back to the cops. And uh, the blazing silver phoenix flew off. The true red gold phoenix followed it. And the old wizard calmly strode after both of them with his, lo- with his low wand gripped, or excuse me, with his long wand gripped low. Which just kind of reads like, you know, a gunslinger walking off. I know. And he's, you know well, and like, yeah, and like the the sense of it being effortless. Like, I think by like being held low, like that's, I don't know, yeah, like a gunslinger kind of way where that's like both relaxed and low effort, but highly competent. Like, yeah, I don't know. The whole yeah. thing, and, and like added to the sense of like how powerful he was because of how little effort he was putting into it. And if you read between the lines there too, then the, the shields around their territory part around the old yeah. wizard like water. And if his wand is gripped low, he's not, you know, using it to cast incantations at the at the wards. He's just mm-hmm. walking through him like a fucking badass. Yeah. So I know then he has the, again speaking of badass, he has this line when she's like, "Where do you think you're going?" And he says, "Do not follow me. I can protect myself. I cannot protect others." Uh, that's pretty bad. I know, and he's just gonna like he's just stomping through Azkaban just because he can. I know, and so I, and he's like, cool. and I, yeah, and I get like, and the sense like with all of the the all the ores it's it's this it's almost like a like a world war one trench warfare kind of vibe like they're all like having to inch bit by bit forward and having to be you know super on guard and there's this you know toxic environment of dementorishness uh that they're with that they're constantly having to shield themselves from and and dumbledore is just like some dude that can just like walk he just walks out in the middle of it and doesn't give a shit and that he's sort of like constantly going back and forth you know, while they're having to like struggle for every inch they they cover, he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna run down the beat real quick. I'll be right back." 
Um, yeah, I imagine it'd be like as annoying as like fighting on a battlefield with Captain America, like, <laughs> you know, 50 meters away to one side, like he'll run across, beat up some tanks and run back and give a report. And you're like, yeah. why am I struggling for every inch we gain? And you're just over there fucking nail. What, what am I even doing here? <laughs> when I when I described it like it was uh, trench warfare just now, then I realized what I had talked myself into was the image of Wonder Woman, like crawling out of the trench, being like, it's taking too fucking long. <laughs> that was the best part of the movie. <laughs> that was my yeah, that was my that was my favorite scene. That was a cool scene. Yeah, I liked it. Like to see a fight Wonder, with her Wonder versus Captain my, America. Wonder Woman's my one exception to my DC bigotry. So. Yeah, she's good. I I liked the movie a lot. I the second movie looks like it could be so good, as long as we're talking Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, Have you seen one. the trailer? Uh, I think I've only I think I've seen one. Um, well, avoid them if you don't like spoilers. I avoid all the Marvel ones, um, less so since Infinity War is over. But I managed to make it all the way to my seat to watch Infinity War. Uh, without having ever seen the poster for the movie. Like, I had no nice. idea what I was getting into. It was awesome. See, I'm, but I'm that's never a story worried. for another day. I'm never worried but very much about spoilers. I, I yeah. wanted to just... To, you only get one chance to get it fresh, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think I'm more spoiler-averse than the average person, especially if I'm curious what's going to happen. But anyway, the Wonder Woman 2 trailer looks tight, and I'm less concerned about spoilers for it. So it seems like it would be so easy for him to fuck up, but we'll see. Anyway... Just Wonder Woman is... just have to avoid the entire 1980s look. Uh, I think it's going to lean hard into it takes place in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, so but we'll they, see. Well, yeah, but they, there's this like edited 80s look that like they find like all the good parts of, of the 80s. And they like like the Linda Carter Wonder Woman outfit was like how is they tried really hard to take an extremely attractive woman and have her be scantily clad and yet still have it be unattractive. <laughs> so they just got to run away from that. Yeah, I guess we'll see what they do. At least, you know what I can say about the uh, the costumes in all the superhero movies of the last several years? They all look great. Yeah. Yeah. True. CGI and uh, just prop effects are mm-hmm. finally make, able to make costumes look fucking perfect. So, uh, whiplash back to Harry Potter. <laughs> so, basically, his brain is throwing a fit at him. And he's just complaining that this isn't fair. This isn't fair. You can only add too many constraints to a problem, etc. And Harry's like, all right, shut up, you know, despair. Let me just think this through. I've got to get rid of my Patronus. I need to keep Bellatrix hidden from the Dementors. And I need to resist the Dementors after my Patronus is gone. And then uh, anyone who gets a cookie or any... So anyway, I'll read this and I'm getting ahead of myself. If I solve this one, said Harry's brain, I want a cookie afterward. And if you make the problem any more difficult than this, and I mean the slightest bit more difficult, I am climbing out of your skull and headed for Tahiti to farm. I was... Is that a Agents of Shield reference? I didn't. The, get it. I, I insisted the that the brain was going to Tahiti to, to farm mangoes. I'm going to let anyone who gets that they get a cookie, just like Harry's brain deserves one. Oh, see, I still don't know it right now. So, uh, I can um, just tell you, everyone yeah. everyone will get the mango reference by now or not in Red Dead Redemption <laughs> Two, which I recommend everyone play. Um, Dutch, mm. the gang leader. He's like kind of going unhinged. It's a great game. I don't want to get too much into it, but his his thing is like, no, no, look, we just need we need to get some money. Well, yeah, but then Dutch, what's the plan? I, I don't. Know. We'll go we'll go to Tahiti and start a mango farm. And, <laughs> my, and, uh, my uh my my other best friend was a producer on that game. He worked for Rockstar San Diego. What? Yeah, there was a and there was a huge on uh on launch day for that. They had some huge uh, server side bug. It was like it kept there's some like loot. Uh, loot box and they like a classic programmer error it was uh it kept respawning at zero 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 uh and and then it got, got caught in some infinite loop so the service kept crashing because it was trying to render like a million loot boxes in the same spot over and over again yeah 
That's hilarious. Yeah, and they couldn't figure out like what was causing it or whatever. So, but yeah, no, he worked. He worked on uh, on like Caesar. He still, he does a lot more like drive. He does, what was it called? Midnight Midnight Club. I mean, he does. He's more into car racy stuff. But yeah, he's producer from that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they yeah, got they got bought. I think version. I think they got bought. I think actually they're owned by Amazon now. I think Rockstar hmm. got bought, but they got bought by Sony. I can't remember. They changed hands, but that's a brutal industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, as long as we're on Red Dead creation trivia, I know that there was a like a huge push that in the months leading up to the release date, which is just not how you make a quality product. Um, yeah. I don't I don't care what you're making, but you and I, especially in software, we know that if this will take three months to make, and the boss says we need it in a month, you're like, great, then you're getting shit. Like yeah, it doesn't matter how many people you throw on it. Doesn't matter how many extra hours we work. It's not going to get done properly if you push the deadline too close. You know. Yeah, video games so, is like the only way you could figure out in in the completely slanted in our favor job market for programmers. Like video games is the only way you could figure out how to find a boss that will still treat you like shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like we're such like spoiled pre bananas. Like I don't have to put up with your crap. I got like four other people that want to hire me. Not video games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That, yeah, doesn't sound fun. Anyway, speaking of not sounding fun, uh, man, we got to stay on topic. Right, we're, running, we're running out of our rabbit holes right. here. Um, what the hell were we? Oh, yeah. yeah so so Harry's thinking about, he's addressing the problem. Like, all right, Azkaban's been invincible for centuries. Like, how the hell do people get around this? And he's trying to think of, like, ways to hide from death. And he, he reminisces on the line from Professor Quirrell about one of the requisites for becoming a powerful wizard is an excellent memory. And he's like, I know I've heard that line before, ways to hide from death, but I can't think about it. So he puts it on the back burner and is just thinking about how to protect himself without a Patronus charm. And he does this, uh, um, he's just thinking back and forth about like, okay, well. Um, <laughs> and he does this again later. It's this whole thing like, that was yeah, funny. It's all like running, okay, let me just think of options. And he's just trying to, you know, think of anything. Yeah. And one one funny option he comes up with was, Harry's brain suggested an obvious way to stop the, the Dementors from seeing Bellatrix was to make her stop existing, i.e. <laughs> kill her. Harry congratulated his brain on thinking outside the box and told it to go on searching. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, yes, correct, you solved the problem, but here's a new constraint without killing Bellatrix. <laughs> picky, picky, picky. I like how his brain, and this maybe is just me reading into it and me reading into the fact that the author's a software uh, person, but... Um, this just strikes me like, you know, a completely failed robot design, right? <laughs> hey, clean the room. And it's like the room's exploded. Hey, room's clean. There's okay. no room. It's perfect, right? So his, his brain's just doing this sort of, <laughs> I don't know, uh, bad. It, I guess when it's just doing raw searching, it's just finding the quickest thing it can, which is what you would do if you're a little computer. So Malicious compliance. Yes. Great subreddit, too. Yes. Anyway, um, you want to so cover then, the part yeah, where he... Yeah, then he has this sort of like epiphany about... I, I can't remember now like what the lead into it was, but um, as he's like thinking about what the whole thing about like everybody sees their own version of the nightmare um, with the Dementors uh, and that once that he... When he realized that they're just like a an aspect of death, um, then he realized like, okay, and that like your one's fear of death is the the lever that um dementors use to get into your head um and that if you're not like if you're not afraid of death and but it wasn't it wasn't like exactly like oh you have to just be like fearless of death but it was that if you just if you weren't like consumed by this like 
fear of death, then then they didn't have a, a way in, um, and they wouldn't affect you. And but that what at that, least as much, yeah, as much, yeah. And what that what that made Harry realize is that because because then he was running through, he's like, but you know, I when I first you know killed that first Dementor, like I like basically conquered that whole thing, so. Why is it still working on me? And that's when he realized, like, oh, it's his dark side, his little inner Voldemort. Um, is uh, that is the part that uh, is still afraid of death in this like in this way that Dementors can uh, get on? And so, and then he again has one of these like little conversations with himself in his head that he's going to sort of like teach or like pr- protect his his dark side self and like teach it how to be okay with it, um, so that he can. Um, so that he wouldn't be affected by the Dementors. And the goal for all of this is because is that he's realizing, because the Patronus has told him, like, oh, they can detect me. And so he's like, okay, I need to get rid of the Patronus, but then I'm fucked. And so uh, he figures out this way that he can just take the Patronus down and he'll be okay. And as long as uh, Bellatrix is under the cloak, she won't be affected. Um, and that if he can just be immune to Dementors, that that solves the problem. Um, but I thought it was kind of a, uh, a big leap of faith for him to just like decide, okay, okay, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So this will be fine. This will, this will work out great. Yeah. I wonder if that's something because like, he, that is a huge gamble to take. I wonder like, so, so the two things that happen is like, it's not that, you know, whatever dark side Harry is the only part of him that's afraid of death. Like when he was having the argument with, with Dumbledore, I think he was doing it mm-hmm. as light side Harry. Um, I think that all of his components are, uh, anti-death i think it's just that his dark side when he, he's like wait hold on i'm not you know so dumbledore can withstand dementors is it really because he's not afraid of death like what if it's just me mm-hmm. and then he's like oh wait the one who's afraid of death is and he asks his dark side and like his patronus almost goes out and like there's just like this you know feeling of screaming desperate sobbing horror yeah and uh he's like oh okay i get it like you're the one who's like just you know completely loses his shit when it comes to death like harry doesn't want to die he i think he is sincere that he wants to live forever and all that stuff but he's prepared i mean we saw him in the last chapter he's prepared to die to save people right yeah Um, i think it's like because i think the the vibe underneath it is almost that the like the death eater thing and that that chasing of and it was a lot like in the original books it was a lot more like with voldemort's obsession with like trying to live forever that there's like an underlying sense of powerlessness over it and that you're like trying to find some kind of miracle to like cheat death to, but, but to basically like break a rule that's supposed to be unbreakable. Um, and so underneath, so there's that like panic underneath of a sense of like, well, but you're like violating the natural order of blah, blah, blah. And that, that, and sort of like that idea of like sort of an infinite power of death is what like gives the dementors there in, into your head. Um, but with Harry, like Harry, then like, you know, looking at it as a rationalist, it's more like, no, this is just a, this is a, a huge, but solvable problem. Um, and then that sort of like demystifies it. And I think like, like that's sort of the feeling I get. It's like, he's, Harry's like turned it back into reality. And, and so then it's not this, it doesn't have this sort of like magical power over him. Yeah, no, I like um, that a lot. Um, and it's also just as far as the, the natural order, like an 11 year old with a stick can violate the laws of physics. So uh the 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 natural order becomes the the magical order right well what Uh, i yeah exactly but um with a stick i was was, i'm like with a stick um but that because 
the thought that occurred to me was that it's not because the Death Eaters are even more upset because Harry is being, you know, anti-death. But like the Death Eaters in the way that they can be affected by the Dementors like this um, are still like anti-death, but in, a, in like a like a defensive, like a crouching, fearful way. Uh, as opposed to like where Harry, like Harry's happy thought is going on the offensive. It's not like a, oh, I have to like think of some time where everything was safe. His happy thought is, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck their shit up. Um, <laughs> although they is just the concept of death, but um, like Harry's is more like leaning into it. Um, but, but, but I just thought it was interesting that because it's not like the Death Eaters aren't like Dumbledore thinking like, oh, you know, death is just fine. The Death Eaters are desperately trying to get out of it, but I think it's that that sense of like that the power that they give to it. Um, that could is, be. Is I, I never like, got a sense like of what of, was really in it for the Death Eaters in the yeah. canon version. Like, I think it was just that Voldemort promised to kill all the mudbloods, and they hated all the mudbloods. No, I got the like, I got the impression like he was like kind of bogarting it for himself, but that it was like going to live forever. And I at least you know I can't point to anything, but like my impression of it was that they were all following him for vague promises of immortality. And he was like, mostly just, you know, taking it all for himself. But like, that was, and that's why they were like death eaters that they were like, they were all obsessed with the, with the, Oh my God, we don't want to die. Huh? No, I, I can dig that. I just don't remember. I don't think any of them ever like made Horcruxes or anything. So it's not like they were even trying to eat yeah. death. Well, and, and in the originals, it was a lot, all of that was pretty vague anyway, because everybody was just kind of a goon. They were just Voldemort goons. Yeah, I think, like, the only one... Oh, no, wait, I guess we get, like, the one that was a werewolf or something, but, like, you know, I think we get, like, three named Death Eaters. Don't quote me on that, because there's more, but, um, you know, in addition to Bellatrix, like, maybe the only other one that gets backstory is Lucius, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and everybody else, like, and there are a few others, but they are very much, like, good, like, they have no story at all. They have names, but no story. I think there were a couple others that hung out with the the werewolf dude. His goons, like, sub-goons. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I had something to go on there, and I just totally dropped it. So we'll move back <laughs> to the story. And so, oh, yeah, his other thing about his intuitive guess about the, the cloak. So I think, like, I am guessing and reading between the lines here that, so it says, um, once like, once he reaches kind of like this uh, happy medium, I guess, with his dark side, and says, like, look, I'll protect you from death because I don't want to die either, and I'll protect our friends. Um then he says, it says, and more than that, he remembered. Thinking of death as an anthropomorphic figure had done the trick, ironically enough. Now Harry could remember it. What was reputed to hide someone from the gaze of death himself? And that was the phrase Dumbledore uh, used when he got to handle the cloak. Yeah, And I think that's original from the books. I think it was. That was yeah. the whole point of it. Yeah. Like in the little, that awesome kind of, I think we described that scene before, but you can find it on YouTube that like, uh, elongated figure, like telling of the Deathly Hallows story. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the cloak hides you from death. And so I think, but as far as Harry, like taking that to mean also Dementors, that's the leap that he makes here. And the fact that it works out for him could be good luck. I'm wondering if it was like, maybe once you under like you, you master the Deathly Hallow, maybe like it's true power, like interdicts itself into your mind. Does, yeah, well, no, that, that I think much of a leap. You no, know, for well, you mean like for why Harry's able to pull this trick off? Well, no. So Harry, when he he's like, oh, I can hide from death himself, but so he knows that Dementors are death. But mm. I mean, that that could also just be like a thing Dumbledore said about the cloak, right? 
Like, why should that necessarily be true? And why, yeah. why should it work? It sounds like there's some good luck involved. And yet he risks their lives on it. Yeah. I think. But I think, I think he was basing a lot of that also just on like what he is like while they were in Azkaban with it, him seeing like what's been going on. So he's like, oh, that must be. So he's, I, at least my impression of it was more that he's like seeing this, this stuff happening with like how when they're under the cloak and what it does and then sort of pieces together the reasonings for why. But he's not just completely just like deducing all of it. It's more like he's, he's, you know, figured out like, oh, this is what's happening. That's a good point. I forgot. Yeah. Somehow that he was under the cloak this whole time in Azkaban yeah. and probably noticed something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and because it like when uh, Bellatrix was under the cloak like that, she was okay. Like even now, but like when they were doing the scene with uh, where they attack uh, Redshirt, <laughs> I can't remember, it's Bari. Um I think it wasn't it described then too that it was like her being under the cloak was ma- was making her feel better. Uh, she wasn't under the cloak. Oh, I think what made her feel better was being near Harry's Patronus mm. when it was going haywire. I, th- I thought didn't she? But she went like when Harry walked out, and then I thought no, I don't know, man, misremembering. But um, no, I mean it's fair. It's been yeah. since we recorded last one late. It's been like two weeks. Um, if my memory serves, I think she says, "Ha, huh, I feel a little better," and it was after. Uh, Harry's Patronus loses its shit, but before Barry mm-hmm. Redshirt comes in. And so okay. I think it was just being near the Patronus 2.0. Okay. Um, yeah, while, I know. I, like, I was going it, full yeah. nuclear. I just, I had it in my head that like, that was part of like, he was like piecing it together. It's like, Oh, and that would explain why da 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 with the cloak. But I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, the, yeah. the, the, this chapter describes it says that it feels like a guess yet a certain guess the knowledge coming to him in the instant of solving the riddle. So um, this is kind of a cool little thing about it too, is that the cloak isn't keep, doesn't keep you like uh, transparent. It keeps you hidden in italics, not mm-hmm. just invisible. And so like uh, the, the other perk is that since he's like the master of the cloak, um, he can still like know where Bellatrix is, even if he can't see her. Oh, was I, I wasn't okay. So that was like explicitly like oh, because the cloak is mine, I have power over it. Yeah. So since he he knew that um, he had only loaned his cloak, not given it, and he had comprehended and mastered the Deathly Hallow that had been passed down through the Potter line, and so mm-hmm. he can look right at her. Which, when you think about it, is a pretty baller move yeah. for like you know playing up his Voldemort persona to Bellatrix, right? Oh yeah, you could just like look through. Didn't uh, I think in the originals too, like. Um... Uh, Dumbledore could sit like it wasn't explicitly stated but it was like implied that sometimes he was like you're under the cloak but Dumbledore could see you anyway yeah Dumbledore is powerful yeah. though and I'm not sure if he could do that well yeah I don't think he can do that in this we get I mean she, he looks right into the room where Bellatrix is and doesn't notice her uh, right that's true, yeah. um, I'm not sure when that might have happened in canon but maybe it was before it was decided by the author that the cloak was actually this extra powerful cloak mm-hmm. um in any case, uh, they're, so she's shielded under the cloak, and he's shielded because he's got a, whatever, spine of steel against death now. And, uh, well, he, so he's he's shielded, but he's not hidden, where at yeah. least she's hidden. So um, Yeah, and then he, like, once he, like, takes it down, uh, what I thought was cool about it, because we sort of, like, so he, he shuts it off, and we, like, cut again to a scene of, like, um, Dumbledore like walking down the hall, like he's down in the the lower parts of the dungeon all by himself, like following the trail um, to the Patronus. And then once he shuts off the Patronus, well, then the 
the trail goes cold and uh and his patronus just stops and be like oh, i can't find anymore and, like there was something cool about that scene because it was sort of like oh like their their cloaking device has been uh activated and um there was a there was just a night uh, like a the feeling of like the threatening uh dumbledore like this power is like coming down to find you and then suddenly it's gone and that the image I got was like that he just stops where he's standing. He's like, uh, oh, that's not going to work. And then he turns around and goes back. It was like, like you, like a huge threat was narrowly avoided. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I get strategically, you know, he's going to go back and check for more information with the, with the cops, but mm-hmm. like, I'm not sure how far he made it. I'm surprised he didn't just like keep wandering around for a little while. Yeah. Although I think there's probably a great case to be made that hanging out in Azkaban by yourself sucks, even if you have a Patronus. Yeah. Like, I think, though, too, like he, I think he mentally switched to, like, then he saw it as, okay, this threat just got worse. And so I think, because then, so he goes back upstairs and says, okay, I can't find them anymore. And that's when they just, um, that's when they load the bazookas. And they just decide, okay, fuck it, we're just going at them with everything. And so I think, like, uh, the way I saw it was like that was like Dumbledore decided, OK, this shit has gone too far. And now I'm going to let Amelia Bones off the leash. Um, and so that's part of like why he turned around. Yeah, no, that, that's actually a good point. The fact that they dismissed the Patronus is also information he should communicate immediately. Yeah. And I guess while he could send his Patronus to tell her, then he'd be standing there without one. In yeah, that's true too. I think even with Dumbledore's will, that would yeah. be challenging. Like we got to keep in mind, too, that. It's never described from Dumbledore's like little snippets that we get, but no doubt they're screaming and sad prisoners that he he's listening to because he's yeah. probably put up a quieting charm because he doesn't want to get ambushed. So he's probably listening to everyone wail around him, and he's like, ah, "Fuck, I guess I'll go back." And this is a good excuse to you know head back up to the company of the rest of the oars yeah. and tell them you know this very valuable piece of information that their Patronus is gone, which could mean that they escaped. And he so. does when he does get by, and that's in the next chapter. But like when he does get up there, and he both him and Fox, um, like the the he describes. I don't know. It's not so much that he describes it, but he refers to how awful um, the situation for the prisoners are there in a way that's like disapproving, and that sort of like goes against this whole like uh, malevolent Dumbledore vibe because it it really did seem like he was. Like legit, like he was upset with the fact that it was like unnecessarily cruel. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, and that was the thing I was going to point out later about how he just hates Azkaban and hates being yeah. here. I mean, he says that they're in, and this is like you said, the next bit where he, so like the fact that he comes and goes so much makes it easy to get twisted about it. So we'll just yeah. save that one for when we get there, I guess, before I get myself lost. So, <laughs> um, so he he does come back this time. And he's just, he tells them their Patronus is out. And then she's like, well, for fuck's sake. All right, ask the duty room if they can ask the Dementors again, if they can sense Bellatrix Black. And there's a pause and then no. And then she's like already cursing violently in her mind, which I think is funny. And then, but they can see someone else in the lower levels who isn't a prisoner. And then she says, fine, tell the Dementor that a dozen of its kind are authorized to enter Azkaban and seize whoever it is in their company. Um, and if they see Bellatrix Black, they're, they're to kiss her immediately. And she mm. turns towards Dumbledore, daring him to argue, but the old wizard only looks at her a bit sadly and held his peace. Yeah. Which is right in the middle of that road between, like, malevolent Dumbledore and, yeah. uh, you know, kindly Dumbledore. Yeah, I really, and I'm like, I really don't know, like, to what extent, like, I'm sticking this in there. <laughs> or, like, how much of it is uh, is really there. But, I don't know, like, maybe I just like the idea of this, like, 
alternate universe Dumbledore. I mean, yeah. I think there's certainly something to read there that this, like, I can't imagine a situation where the Dumbledore we know from the canon books would ever say, yeah, kiss her, fuck it, yeah. what, like, destroy her. We, and he's he looks at her sadly, but he doesn't say, you know, maybe we shouldn't kill her. Um, yeah. He explicitly doesn't say that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and the sense like there's a sense like he had already decided that like he's being acting sad about it, but that's like that's why he came up there. Yeah. So the message is relayed to the the Dementors, and then entering through holes set in the base of Azkaban, the darkest of all creatures began their march of horror. Horror. It's kind of gross, and like I guess it makes sense, but like they explicitly built Azkaban with holes in it so that Dementors can swoop in if they need to. Mm-hmm. Like, I like, I, I, and I don't remember this from the original. Like, it's a really cool effect. Like, there's just some like, you know, ancient cave into the mouth of hell that Dementors come out of, and they just built the prison on top of it. Um, it's a cool feeling to it, and also like in the way they describe the pit, uh, it really does like have that feeling of like, oh, we built something around this. Yeah, it's never explicit one way or the other, but I really like that yeah. interpretation. Um, like another, uh, uh, if you're. I'm trying to think like another hypothesis could be like Dementors are a thing that are running around all the time and to kind of rally them in, they say, Hey, look, why don't we stop scaring you away with Patronuses if we just give you a bunch of people to eat and you guys all hang out in this one spot in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's like a, it's like a reservation for Dementors. Yeah. Where they, it's a, it's a wildlife preserve. (laughs) Yeah. And the only thing that takes to keep them there isn't a fence, but it's people, a steady supply of food. Um, Mm. Souls. Anyway, yeah, the other thing, too, is that I like, as far as, like, picturing this, the, like, I remember in the movies, they have the Death Eaters just constantly be, like, wisps of shadow that, like, you know, mm. turn into dust and fly away. Um, but, like, they're they're sort of ephemeral, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, That's how I picture the Dementors in this. Like, the, Dement- the, the Death Eaters in the movies were explicitly not that. Oh, I guess the Death Eaters, or the Dementors in the movies were like that, too. They were basically, they were um, just sort of, like, like more vague versions of the grim reaper really yeah i just like the whole like where they can kind of like whoosh into like a shapeless the the death eaters i mean just whoosh into a shapeless cloud and fly away that's how i picture the dementors in this i thought wasn't it described though that like sometimes they were just like well because they were like whatever you want to envision but sometimes they really were just like a corpse like without the like mysterious robe yada yada in method's personality yeah yeah yeah, depending yeah. on who's looking at them, they see different yeah. things. They all see horrifying, except for Harry's the only one who sees, like, literal voids. Yeah. Um, everyone else sees some variation of a decaying corpse. Yeah. Which is, like, way creepier than... Because, like, the, yeah, the Dementors in the in the book... Actually, I mean, now I'm totally picturing the movie. Um, I don't know that I have a good sense of how they were described in the original book, but... Um, yeah. Well, they're done They're done yeah. a nice, solid, creepy fashion here, but... Yeah. It is, like I said, just it's a, it makes sense because they're good security and Azkaban's, in, in, you yeah. know, an indomitable fortress. But the idea that they built the place with holes in it so that the Dementors can swarm it if they need to just like push this level of uh, planning into that situation that it's, the whole place is just depressing as fuck. That's what I'm trying to put my foot on here. <laughs> like the, everything about this is just like, God, this is a nightmare. So yeah. we jump into chapter 57. And Harry is bummed that his fusion with his dark side doesn't lo- allow him to tap his dark side mind powers without going dark. But it yeah. says something had happened, but he's still out of a serious dark side and that he can't uh, 
use his indomitable will and clarity from his dark side right now because he'd have to go dark to do it and doing that in Azkaban would be way too stupid. So Indomitable. Yeah, and it sort of like more explicitly calls out that 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 little hidden half of him is doing that like that Voldemort like like obsessed obsessive fear with escaping death. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, he, despite he, the repair work he'd done on his dark side's fear of death, so it, it kind of just like underlines it specifically about this, and that's that's like the the prime motivator for that dark side and the prime reason why it's vulnerable. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, so the Dementors are on the way in, and he and Harry can feel them. Man, this chapter had one of the coolest parts in the book so far, too. Um, so <laughs> um, they can they can Harry and Bellatrix can sense the Dementor is coming. And he's like, all right, new requirement, brain. Uh, find a way of defeating Dementors de- that doesn't use my Patronus charm. Alternatively find, alternatively, find yet another way of hiding someone from Dementors besides an invisibility cloak. And like it just cuts off and says, I quit. Find yourself <laughs> another piece of computing substrate to solve your ridiculously overconstrained problems. <laughs> I liked it like the way it was uh, sort of, I don't know the right word, but when... Bellatrix says that she can feel a Dementor's coming. There's something like sort of like sad or just like just awful about because it was just it's more of her like remembering the the horrible conditions she's been in for years. She's like, oh, I can feel it again. Like hers is a lot more fearful. Yeah, it's yeah, I think it I think it communicates that with like the yeah. um, the hyphens, you know, between a lot of the words. Yeah. It's kind of like just choking off the words. Yeah. yeah. Because when she was near Mr. Glowy person, they didn't notice her at all. And she was, for the first time in a decade, free of being attacked by them, right? Yeah. And while they're not attacking her right now, she can still feel their presence. And so it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, Dementors, God, this does suck. I need, oh, man. Um, I'm playing that off a lot lighter than it is, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, so his brain's trying to convince him to give up and he's like, no, no, I can't do that. You're just trying to make me sad. Dementors, nice try. <laughs> and then his, his logical brain also points out, it's like, you know, if you can't think negative thoughts, cause that open up your minds to mentors, that's a cognitive bias too. How would you actually know if it was time to give up? <laughs> and then it gets to the, I didn't pull it. It wasn't very interesting as a quote, but like part of this little internal dialogue with himself is he basically gets into like ethical math ethics math um like oh if you're not willing to die for you know you're not willing to take an 80 percent chance of dying to save everybody then you definitely shouldn't take a 20 percent chance to just to save these people blah 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 uh what was i mean how did you because when i read that it was like oh that's all very like off-putting like the <laughs> like assigning uh arbitrary math to the decision i mean is that how what, what was your vibe the, the way you read that did, did that seem like oh, okay that's like a like it was definitely supposed to be sort of like coldly logical, but um, or dry, not not cold, but just sort of like dryly logical. But my take of it was it was also like it was off-putting, um, but I wasn't sure. Like, like is that just me or is it like? Um, no, know. that's so what was your that's good. What was your take? Um, well, I mean, I think first off that comes up uh, later when he's talking about the odds of surviving their actual escape plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no, not here before the dementia uh, okay. attack, but. Yeah, like as far as like that that whole calculus goes, if I remember correctly, something like his Slytherin side proposes or mentions that like, yeah. hey, look, you're not assigning consistent values across utilities here, and he's and it says the logical part of him had noted that Slytherin just won the argument, but like he doesn't stop thinking. He's like, yeah. all right, cool, you've made a great point. Fuck you. Sort of yeah. how his mind worked on that. So like he has 
a part of his, you know, the way he bifurcates his mind into little sections yeah. to attack problems. One part is going to, you know, do the Slytherin thing and say, hey, you know what? Let me try and talk into not dying and point mm-hmm. out that the logical thing to do is to turn yourself in safely. Um, yeah, and, but, sure, he, but what he just like, so he does do the like turn yourself in safely decision, but he does dismiss that. So like his Slytherin part did accurate math in his head, uh, but he still dismisses it. Um, yeah, so, so I think I think that's the key there yeah. is that like kind of like how his brain also threw out the idea of killing Bellatrix to hide her from yeah. the Dementors, and it's just like no fuck you, that's a stupid way to think about it. I don't care if it's right in the sense that the math checks out. Yeah. If anything, it, it's it's more him saying yes, you make a very good point, and if I was arguing, you would win. But I'm not arguing with you right now. I'm gonna just try and find another way to do this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll I'll get a better feel of that when we get to that part. Yeah. Um, so this is the part where it's super badass where, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. We've got another God dang, uh, line change or scene change, <laughs> but, um, there's this line where, uh, Bellatrix was like, you know, my Lord, you shouldn't risk yourself for me. And he's like, be silent fool. When I decide to sacrifice you, I will tell you so. <laughs> um, oh, this is what you were saying. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. That, that reminded you of it. As far as the 20% math that comes up later, no. but his, his Slytherin side here points out that. You know, she's got a point. You shouldn't risk yourself for her. There's no way her life is as valuable as yours. <laughs> and so in this moment, he's just like, no, fuck that. I can't be that person who sacrifices somebody mm-hmm. like eat shit. Um, and and I like that, like because he's he's able to I maybe it's a psychopathic kind of thought to have. But like the fact that he's not like great point, Slytherin, we're going to do that. And he just, you know, yeah. knocks her out and takes the cloak. Right. Um, and that's something like he never really. um that's not anything that he ever has to like struggle with. Like that is like his, like this lives are valuable thing that like, even though when kind of dark thoughts will intrude on him, like they never get to that point. He's never like wondering like, Oh, maybe it is okay to kill people. Like he'll have these, like these sort of intrusive thoughts will come up, but he never really buys into them. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And even like, no matter how much like his dark side is kind of like creeping up, like it never gets to that point with him. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, <laughs> then this is the part. What did you what? How did you put it that uh, it fucks with Harry's rationalist mojo that the way that he thinks about Dementors directly affects what happens? Yeah, it's um, like, I'm, yeah, because I'm supposed to be able to like, consider all the options logically and, you know, decide which one I want to take. And it bugs the shit out of him that the act of thinking about them is like causing the weather to change. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like that uh how when he was entering nine and three quarters how the weasleys told him that if you don't believe hard mm-hmm. enough that it won't be a door it'll just be yeah. a wall oh yeah and that's and what so, like and it really bothers him that like his whole this whole exercise of him trying to like hold back the dementors is like for him to try to like you know happy thought himself like mind fuck himself into thinking the right way right and it's i think a it bothers him because like why is there a part of the universe that i have to treat this mm-hmm. way right um like everything else, I'm just allowed to think about the problem and then address it. But my thinking about it shouldn't be shouldn't impact how I have to address it. And so the the thing with the door to nine and three quarters was just like I think he felt dirtied about like oh yeah. I mean I like I had to like close my eyes and believe in Tinkerbell to make her live mm-hmm. like that just felt weird. Um, this is I think more just annoyance that like okay great this actually is one of those Tinkerbell situations yeah. kind of and it's like well. He's yeah, just, he's annoyed that it's like valid that that like bullshit is actually like the correct approach in this situation. Exactly. <laughs> like I could tell, like I totally relate to that. Set. Like it's like so grating the idea. Like I think we talked about that last time. That's just like the 
like, oh, if you, you just need to think about it in the right way. Um, just mind over matter. Just, you know, manifest your desires. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 And then it, it cuts back to the cops and they're like, we've got a fix. And they're at level seven speed, speed spiral. Or, and again, it, it just kind of paints this fun. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing like I played a Doom 2016 like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And the way the maps work in the 3D Doom is like it lets you kind of. It, well, it's a cool flat 3D map with like flat mm-hmm. surfaces, but like different levels to it. Mm-hmm. And it's all rendered at once. So that's what I'm picturing when I see this Azkaban thing. I'm seeing like a little blip on the little map. And when it says level seven speed spiral, I'm picturing it in doom. I know. Well, and that like that whole terminology has the total like spy movie vibe to it. Totally. (laughs) And what I like about this too is it's another just super competent moment from Amelia where she's like, no, no, that's where one of them is. The Dementors still can't find Bellatrix Black. We are not running down there and letting letting her through in the confusion. Mm -hmm. And we're not dividing our forces to be ambushed. And, I, really, I like her character. I hope we, yeah, she, she's fucking she killing around, it. Yeah. But of course, Dumbledore, he's like, well, if that's where they are, I'm going to just go walk off. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he just walks past uh, the wards again and heads off towards uh, where Harry is. And then this is the really badass moment when the Dementors, they're like, they're coming up as this. And it describes like before that, that, you know, they can hear screams coming from above and below as people felt the Dementors coming. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... What, what did it say? The fear thundered over him around, th- thundered over him and around him like a sea whipped by hurricane winds. And there's just this approaching black hole because there's not like a shape to the Dementors that he sees. It's just like this sort of yeah, voidness. Yeah. So a dozen Dementors is just like a bigger void. And he just puts his hand up and he believes that they'll stop. And again, he feels annoyed about that. Mm-hmm. But he says, stop. And he puts his hand out and they halt. And... It immediately after that, Bellatrix gave out the strangled gasp, like it was being torn out of her, and then he has her communicate what they said. But so it's not clear to me if she gasped because that was super fucking badass, or if she gasped because of what they said. Yeah, I got. Well, actually, I, my my impression of it was just it was more that like she was it was gasping because like she was getting hit with a big old a, a big old dose of Dementor at that point. So it was just more of like a oh god, this is hard. That's a good point. Yeah. I I took it that she was just like holy hell. You just stopped a Dementor yeah. by yelling at it. Um, uh, and I mean, it definitely, I got it, like that sense uh, from reading it. And there's been, uh, a bunch of spots like this where it feels very like Neo in the Matrix, where it's like, you know, Harry is doing a thing that nobody has ever been able to do. And especially like that hold out your hand thing. That's that's almost directly from the Matrix. I don't even know. I mean, yeah, I don't know that it's like on purpose, but that's like kind of the cool vibe to it because it's, because it makes him stand out as like having these powers that nobody else has ever had. That's a good point. Yeah. No, and maybe the imagery was subconscious or intentional. Um, mm. And it's also just is the universal symbol for stop. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely, like you said, gives that vibe. Yeah. Um, and this is the other thing that I don't know if I quite understand. I mean, it said it before, like Harry can't hear Dementors. Yeah. Um, so he had worked out a hand signal with Bellatrix to repeat what they had said. Mm. And it's, uh, I guess I'm I'm open to guesses on why you think he can't hear them, like because he gets that they're just death manifestations. Yeah, th- th- that's yeah, it ties together with how I saw it the fir- on his very first exposure at Hogwarts that it was like because he sees it for what it really is that they aren't actually people, 
And so they don't have their own thoughts and their own things they would say. Because because they are just like a reflection of what's going on in your own head and they're not, in that sense, not real and that Harry has seen that for what it is, there's nothing for them to be saying because he's like seen through the illusion of it. I like that. I think that that almost makes sense. The only thing that... Except it doesn't quite work for them. Like, well, tell me, Bellatrix, what are they saying? Well, they shouldn't be anything that they are saying if that's the case, but... Yeah, I mean, maybe she, like, if she's expecting them to say stuff and she's anthropomorphizing them, then they'll talk to her. Yeah, well, and, like, but, but the, like if that theory is true, though, then by asking her what they're saying, he's really just asking, like, oh, tell me what's going on in your subconscious right now. Like, yeah, it basically. Wouldn't be about, the, it wouldn't the only, be the only other thing about, like, the Dementors uh, not having any sort of anything to them that they're, uh, like, um, psychologically empty mm-hmm. Is that they they can report? Yeah, and you know, he, like and one, he, one comes up to the window unasked and yeah. says Bellatrix Black is out of her cell, and he threatens and, them, and they respond to the threat like to preserve themselves. So, right, that might be him controlling them through his expectations, yeah. or um, maybe they have a self, self a sense of self preservation. Yeah. I'm not sure. So I, I did I, like I think, the, the the image of like he can't hear them and he asks her to tell them what they're saying it's somehow like that makes them somehow like a lot creepier like it's a voice you can't hear that's still talking so in some ways <laughs> like then bellatrix is almost sort of like a medium um but also like, i don't know there's something extra creepy about like you're having a conversation with something silent yeah that's interesting that's a good point i'm still confused how they have if, if the if the guess that they have no like psychology to them whatsoever i wonder how they can report on facts that you don't know um like i said when they, when they yeah. float up unprompted and alert the auras that bellatrix black is out of her cell like they didn't know that she was out of her cell yeah so maybe how it's did, not how did they yeah. get that information or maybe I, I, or it could be that like harry has decided that they are so like harry's reflection of what they are is that they are nothing and so they are nothing to harry oh um, maybe that I, I think settles this perfectly for me there you go. I think, I mean, I think like, like the big part though, is like Harry has seen Dementors as a, as a more empty thing than everybody else regards them as. And so I think like, that's I, for me, like, that's like the big significance to them having no voice is that Harry has seen them as just a phenomenon rather than actual, you know, beings, which awesome. and may, and maybe they've got some sort of like level of autonomy or whatever, but like, that's the big thing is like, Harry's like, no, they are just death. They're just a thing. They're not monsters. Perfect. No, I love that. That's uh, that's great. I feel much better about that now. <laughs> so, again, this is the kind of book where we can bring our lawyer and find a good explanation for most of these things. Um, anyway, so he, t- like, they, they apparently say to the hallway, because they can't, like, Harry can't hear them, they can't see Bellatrix, but they're like, uh, they say, tell us where Belichick's black is, or rather she has promised us, tell us where she hides and you will be spared. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, she escaped a while ago. And I liked his thing and I wondered what it would have done. He says that he, he should have told them that Bellatrix was among the oars in the top level yeah. and that would have caused more confusion. But then he says, no, they're not trickable. They're things. They're not, they're controlled, you know, yeah. they're to think that we can bluff them is wrong. Yeah. And then she says, they know that, that you're, that you're lying. And then they start moving forward again. Yeah. And, and I thought that was interesting. Like how, what does that mean that they know he's lying? Like what, is, what does that say about like, what's there? Is it that they know stuff uh, just so that they know it's not true? Or does that mean that they've got like some connection into his head? I wonder if it means that they like, 
they would have sensed Bellatrix Black leaving rather than simply yeah. vanishing. Yeah, I wasn't clear. Yeah, it could have been that. I wasn't clear what it was. Like, was it just that they had knowledge that what he said couldn't be true? Or is it that they can just tell when he's lying? The other uh, distinct possibility is that Bellatrix is controlling them and like yeah, yeah, influencing yeah. their their behavior slash mm-hmm. their whatever um, unwittingly, right? Oh, and so that like they know she's around. Yeah, yeah. so like... I don't I can't there's not a lot of invisible things I can point to in my day-to-day life to think of an example quickly but it's like they 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 can't see her they can't find her but like they know that she's around yeah. so that that's like no yeah. we know she's fucking here man um and then this part he says don't resist pointing his wand behind him uh-huh. and she's like I I love you farewell my lord <laughs> and uh god man she is just this poor she's, woman she's pretty emo she she's thinking in that minute he's gonna kill me and feed me to them. Oh, the sweet and, release of death. Yeah, well, not really even sweet. She's just like, oh my god. On a, another bring your lawyer moment, he's lucky he didn't accidentally somnium the snake and fuck them both up because <laughs> it's draped around her neck, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the is like a thing that you like aim because some spells are just sort of like you do the thing, but somnium is like a it's a bullet. Yeah, it's a uh, point and shoot. Yeah. Um, and then he tries to stop again and it doesn't work. And then he's like, okay, maybe it's like everyone's expectations or whatever. And he doesn't have time to think about it. So then he's like, all right, fuck this. And he draws up his wands, the Patronus charm. And he's ready to like, he's ready to kill them if they don't stop. And he says, one of your number went to Hogwarts and did not return. It no longer exists. That death is dead. (laughs) Turn back and do not speak to anyone of this little shadows or I will destroy you as well. Which like, that is just such a badass fucking Mm -hmm. moment. Because Dementors have been played out to be... Like, they were scary in canon. They're way scarier in this book. And he's staring down a dozen of them. And I have... I'm confident that, you know, because he... When he was... Both times his Patronus went wild, he was thinking, I could probably kill them all from here. I'm not sure where here was, but it was pretty far away. And there were like 100 plus, whatever, in the pit. Yeah, he was just sort of thinking, like, I can make Ground Zero be the entire size of Azkaban. Right. But even... So, if he can Ground Zero and nuke them from the you know, middle of the fortress from here at point blank, I think he could kill 12. And the fact that he also believes that could be what scares them away. Or like I said, maybe they're actually in some pseudo intelligent sentient way. They have a sense of self-preservation and they're like, Oh, I don't want to die. We will leave. And we will listen to what you said about not telling anyone. (laughs) And I like the part I liked about it was that like the reason why this worked is because he like, he stopped being in like self-help book mode of, Oh, I'm just going to like think happy thoughts um, into getting to go away. It's that he like, really, he's like, okay, no, this is what I'm going to do. So he wasn't like, he wasn't convincing himself of anything anymore. He like caused reality to be like what it needed to be uh, so that they could get that. Like, no, you need, you, you will be stopping now. Um, So it wasn't like a, like mind over matter bullshit anymore. No, he whipped out his gun and said, I'll fucking shoot. Yeah. And like, and the reason he believed it was because it was true. Right. Yeah. No, I I love it. It's perfect. Um, It, you know, might've given up, it might've given away that Harry Potter was there to Dumbledore if he had killed them, but he was ready to do it. And uh, didn't, it didn't come to that. They, they retreat. So um, speaking of mind over matter stuff. So now that Bellatrix is unconscious and he has like a minute to himself, to not like pretend <laughs> to be Voldemort. He just like slumps against the wall yeah. and he's just like, okay, only for a minute. I need to just sit here and catch my breath for five minutes. It says he sure as hell wasn't planning on sleeping in Azkaban, but he could take that minute. I like it. <laughs> it's like, to the, cause he, and he does have to like keep 
uh, at later we have where he's saying like, oh, no, I have to like push that thought down or whatever. I like that as that as he keeps having to do that kind of like, you know, thought police on himself, like it's all done in the context of, well, no, there's like specific practical reasons for this and not just some kind of like wanky, like, oh, if you just think like the right thing, you need to keep yourself in a positive mindset, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's specifically like, no, the Dementors feed on this shit. Yeah, and so. he, he does a bit of that when he's sitting there slumped. He's just like, he's trying to keep his thoughts positive and cheerful. Yeah. And he's like, my, I'll just have some nice regenerative rest yeah. here and then I'll feel better rather than say, my, I'll just collapse here in emotional and physical exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, and I don't get the sense that it's like supposed to be some like metaphor or like recommendation for how to go through your life or whatever that, and especially because like he has like, you know, expressed his irritation with having to do the whole thing that like it's, so it's all framed that way that like this is, only because of the specific stuff that's going on and not because this is a fun thing to do. Right. Well, and there's the fact too, that when he's thinking, I'm going to think positive thoughts rather than these negative thoughts in mm-hmm. order to identify these negative thoughts, he has to also think them. Yeah. Right. So he's, he's just kind of like, he's just sitting there trying to kind of bullshit himself, but he's just like, oh, I just need a fucking minute. <laughs> and then, you, you know, this line kind of lines up perfectly with how he beat the Dementors and, how it stopped being this kind of mind over matter and more of like, all right, here's my gun. And he says, and by the way, Harry said to his brain, you're fired. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So what happens next? Uh, cut back to the cops and Dumbledore rides in on a horse with the unconscious body of Barry Redshirt slumped across the saddle. All right. There's no actual horse. Um, and he's actually conscious. He's, uh, well, he's eating he, a bar of chocolate. Oh, that's right. But Dumbledore's actually literally carrying him, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's what totally like is like contributing to this sense of that like it's eight foot but tall. But he's seven Dumbledore. feet tall, yeah. right? He's carrying an yeah, adult. Ca- yeah. Yeah. Um, and it says carrying him in his arms, not yeah. carrying him fireman style, right? Yeah. He's just like, yeah. He's like, la, la, la. Here's this baby I found. May- oh, you know what? Maybe he used... Well, I mean, if he could carry him with a spell, he would just levitate him, right? I don't know why he's carrying him in his arms, but like... Yeah. He, if he made him lighter, maybe, or something, but I'm just like, I couldn't carry an adult. Make him lighter, make yourself super strong, whatever. I know, yeah, that's, you know, 150-something pounds. So yeah, that's not that's not easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, it, well, and it, again, it, like, gives this, like, sense of just, he's just powerful in kind of all ways. Um, just generally powerful. Um, but, yeah, and then this, they do totally play it up in, like, the cop show kind of way. Like, oh, he's back and he's, you know, he's safe and we've rescued him. And it's uh, it kind of cuts back to um, that whole vibe. But then we cut back again, don't we? It does jump back and forth. Yeah, this is just, like, five, you yeah. know, one-line paragraphs. Um, the only other thing that happens there is everyone's like, yeah, he's back. And they go to rush forward. And Amelia, since it's not her first rodeo, She's like, mm. stay on guard, yeah. she, bellowed, she bellowed, and then, you know, check them for polyjuice, scan Bari for small animagi or traps, and it cuts off with a hyphen indicating that she was going to keep, you know, listing things of like, no, don't be <laughs> fucking idiots. This Computer, is exactly, run a like, full diagnostic. It's the kind of thing, this is why, like, you know, when I, 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 you know, my life, thankfully, is boring enough where I don't have to engage that part of my brain that often, but it is mm. so much fun. Like... Okay, cool. Well, if I was a bad guy and I'm trying to sneak back in to like, you know, fuck up the cops, what am mm-hmm. I going to do? Oh, I know. I'll take the the beard strand of the Dumbledore left and the the fingernail of Barry one hand who I mm-hmm. killed five hours ago and polyjuice them both and run back in and be like, hey, we made it. And then when I get in, I'm going to start shooting people, right? Yeah. Like, and she, she's she's a step ahead. She's like, no, fuck that. Not going to let that happen. Keep keep wands pointed, everyone on guard. It's awesome. It'd be like, it'd be like the Terminator 2 moment where... 
he's really just then he like morphs back into his real shape. Oh yeah. Or like every Terminator since then, they can all change shapes. That's the OG. I liked Terminator Two. That was, uh, that was a good one. one of the best movies of the. Was it in the eighties or was it the early nineties? It was, it was either late eighties or early nineties. Whatever it was, it was one of the best movies of those years. It's good. And there were a lot Solid. of good movies. Solid. All right. So, so then we jump back you. down, and like Bellatrix just sort of asks, she's like, "Well, what the hell happened to the Dementors?" And um, and then Harry doing his like very natural uh, Voldemort uh, jam. Just like, what is he? He's just like, oh, I just scared them away. And he says it like intentionally, very like flippantly, uh, you know, on purpose to like be, to be like super alpha Voldemort um, to her. Uh, but, uh, but I liked it though, because like, oh, he's got this, you know, that was a very hairy thing that he was able to do. Um, but like very easily then like reframed as like, oh, wow, Voldemort is just amazingly powerful. And he can, even Voldemort can scare Dementors away. Yeah, there's... Um... I totally agree. It plays both things. And there, there are two things about that. Like one, the little kind of almost comedic beat before that, when he wakes her up and she's like, I'm alive. Yeah. Harry was sorely tempted to say no, just to see what she made of that. <laughs> um, but then, so she says, what happened? And it says, and the dark Lord gave a wild high pitched laugh and said, I scared the Dementors away, my dear Bella, which man, that is the, we haven't mm-hmm. seen that level of acting from him yet. Yeah. Um, First of all, in his in the own narrative, it says the Dark Lord, yeah. and there's been a bunch second, of that where it's like in a, like a gruff voice, or yeah, where it's like how almost like describing that as some other person other than Harry. Yeah, it's wild, yeah. and like I mean, he, I think he heard the Dark Lord's laugh in his uh, dementation when he heard his parents mm-hmm. die, so he's probably simulating that. But still, like that's that's pretty he's also that's pretty intense. Got the Dark Lord inside him. That's my and that's very. That he's just really he doing. He's the, the actually does have Voldemort in him, so that is to some extent just Voldemort talking. Right on. So. I'll put that on the list. <laughs> um, I just it's one of those things that I don't think I noticed the wild high pitched laugh in any other reads. It wasn't. That's not another reason I'm really glad I'm doing this slow, careful read through is I'm catching things like that because that is a a chilling image. Okay. That's um, something that never it doesn't work in this in this. It didn't work in the originals. I cannot get myself to pick it. And he's consistently described as having a high voice, and I guess it's supposed to be sort of like threatening in kind of a golem kind of way or something it never works for me i always like he gets a deep voice in my head like i I can't i can't see that like high whatever voice as being like as threatening as it's supposed to be so my brain just rejects it me either i think like golem isn't a threatening voice he's just he he's supposed to be just uh creepy right um yeah, I think even in the movies they gave they gave him a, a, a little bit, a little, yeah yeah it was, I mean it was basically just Ray Fine's voice um, and they didn't try to like make it all Darth Vader ish but but yeah they couldn't yeah it would be hard to play that up anyway but yeah it just didn't it never worked for me oh you know if you had listened to the audiobook, the the person who did the um, in the flashback scene mm-hmm. like when he's being his parents are being murdered mm-hmm. uh, that, that I think that that finds the that balance really well oh, yeah. it's 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 not it's not high per se. It's hard to describe. Yeah. I'll just, I'll see if I can send you a soundbite. Um, in any case, uh, let's see. Um, when she oh, yeah. goes, then there's like a moment where, because she's all like lovey dovey towards him in her weird emo way. Um, and he just sort of gets like legitimately kind of concerned or sad that he, he doesn't want to have her think that like someday Voldemort's going to love her back. Um, and he's like just trying to like hold on until she can like get her mind right with a shrink. Yeah, it's it's like it, you, you yeah you summarized it perfectly, but now I'm compelled to read it. Um, 
She says, could it be, my lord, that in your new form you've begun to care for me? And he says, no. And then he turns away from her. And take care that you do not offend me again, or I will abandon you here, use or no use. Now follow or be left behind. And then he's like trying not to listen to her sobbing behind him. Mm. And he says, because the last thing that woman needed, the very last thing she needed to start thinking before the psychiatric healer began trying to deprogram her, was to believe that her dark lord could ever love her back. Which sucks, because, like, he cares about her, uh, Harry does, in the, like, in the sense that he's like, I'm saving somebody who desperately needs help. But he can't even show that part, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, like, where we're, I mean, so, you know, having read it, but, like, we could go either way with Bellatrix could be this, like, we could play it off as she's this, like, broken person uh, who's basically been brainwashed. Or in a a little bit, we got, we get to see it in a little bit when, uh, when she takes her, her, methamphetamine potion um <laughs> that she could just like that like or she is just this like like evil psychopath uh, and we could kind of go either way yeah it's definitely left ambiguous to us yeah. and i think it's pepper uppers we'll call it pcp potion which <laughs> uh is the one that's supposed to let you punch through windshields right so mm, yeah sure yeah it gives you superpowers with no drawbacks that's what i hear <laughs> yes yeah no one no one take drugs kids um you know, I mean, do and on a serious note, I've never, been, I've never had any interest in trying other things that make you totally fucking stupid like that. So it's one thing to zone out on, you know, psychedelics, but it's another thing entirely to take something that uh, you read about in the newspapers, right? I just do PCP recreationally. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't get out of bed without, you know, just, uh, <laughs> uh, I can't even. Um, <laughs> so cuts back to the cops and um, Bari is being carried out by two strong oars. Oh, that's actually uh, worth calling out. It takes two strong oars yeah. to carry Bari, but Dumbledore was carrying him in his arms like mm. a baby. <laughs> Fucking badass. Um, so then Dumbledore is like, do you understand this? And she's she's thinking, no. Like, why would they obliviate him and leave him alive? Like, it would have cost them nothing to kill him. Yeah. And uh, you'd pull out the, the little bit there where... Yeah, that it, so yeah, Dumbledore is saying, like, well, the fact that that they didn't kill him means that it's, and this really felt like Dumbledore's fishing. Like he's like trying to sell this idea um, that, Oh, that one of them has been kidnapped and is like acting against their will uh, as if he already knows who it is. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a possibility. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know if he knows who it is. I mean, if he did, as long as I'm putting on my, since I'm already thinking in my paranoid hat, he could ask his Patronus to find Harry Potter and then just follow it. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe he did. Well, if he did, he wouldn't have given up when he was yeah. wandering down the... This is all um, an act. No, I guess it's not an act because he really was trying to get to them and, and missed at the end. Yeah, it just it seems like, like it, not that it was like a, it's not a crazy idea, it's like a reasonable idea, but uh, but also like just among many, like it, it felt like he's selling it too hard for how plausible it is. Like he wants, like he wants her to think that. I think he wants her to think that because he doesn't want to be the first one to wield deadly curses. Yeah, oh, is that, uh, yeah. I guess that could be it—that he's just trying to like defuse the situation. Yeah, because now could... that it's—I think that he wasn't a fan that they sent in Dementors to kiss. Although on the plus side, I think it was only to kiss Bellatrix Black, not kiss everyone with her. Yeah. But um, his his mentality of okay, look—they clearly had somebody cast a Patronus charm, and maybe they're more than just a hostage. Maybe they were tricked and. 
they they didn't want this guy killed so you know maybe they're not all bad guys maybe we shouldn't yeah. go in their guns blazing and she's like aha that's what they wanted they they wanted us to second guess ourselves like that thank you yeah. for playing up the <laughs> schmuck dumbledore we're not going to schmuck this and she says we continue as planned <laughs> And then this yeah, I think where... like if you're like looking at this just like cold, if you know, if you didn't, if you don't know all the background of this, and you're just like, okay, Bellatrix Black has escaped, like that makes the whole this whole like, oh, maybe there's been somebody kidnapped and against their will, but like that's totally far fetched. Like if you've got, if you're just, you know, starting from zero and have no idea what's going on, the idea that oh somebody broke her out, but one of the people that broke her out didn't want to break her out, like that's a totally bizarre, far fetched idea. Well, except for the fact that all the people who would, who would want to break her out, presumably the Death Eaters, can't cast Patronuses. That's true. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. So, like, the, yeah. the hostage thing makes sense. And I think that's what Harry was that's even going to say. Yeah. Was like, no, no. Yeah, and it all seems more plausible point. because we know, like, the whole thing is pretty close to what's actually going on. But, uh, but no, you're right. Like, the fact that a, a Death Eater, it had to be a not a Death Eater, makes that idea uh, more something that somebody would just think up cold. Yeah, they, they had to bring along at least one person who's yeah. good enough to cast a uh, Patronus Charm. Yeah. So, I mean, well, it's interesting. Like, we now know that the Patronus Charm is a little more complicated than, yeah. you know, good good guy can cast it, bad guy can't. This should, uh, although, so, because they do all know there's some unusual Patronus, cause it's, it's because they do know it's a Patronus, because um, Dumbledore got his phoenix to, to lock onto it, um, and they know it's some kind of unusual Patronus that all the other Patronuses are staring at it, so that it, that should have been two plus two equals four in Dumbledore's head, because uh, he know he should he should know that that's Harry. I think that's a compelling point. Yeah, the the fact that he, at least to us, isn't jumping to that right away is yeah. rather surprising. Yeah, and I th- uh, yeah and that makes me think like well no he has he's just not saying. I still wonder though if he had, because like you can send your Patronus to deliver messages, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure if you can send it to like, hey, you know how you can go anywhere and find people? Can you do it slowly so I can follow you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like when Harry and Draco were testing the Patronus communication, like in a classroom or something, it like just moved across the room. It didn't teleport like they do. Yeah. But maybe that's because of a short distance. But maybe you can ask it to go slow. But if not, you could, you know, he could send his, his Phoenix. Well, then again. Well, and what, you know, what we're about to see is it was vague, but it seemed like significant that um, Dumbledore walks right in front of their their cell door and then moves along, like walks in front of their cell, stops, and then keeps going. Uh, and that was described in a sort of way, like, to imply that maybe he, like, caught onto something that it wasn't just like, oh, and then he didn't notice us. Um, so now I'm on it, like, oh, he's like, that he was like, okay, I know Harry's in here and I'm going to keep going and pretend I don't know he's in there. Oh, damn. Yeah, maybe. I... There was something about how that was described because it wasn't, because you wouldn't need to describe that like, oh, and then Dumbledore like was right by their cell. So well, unless you planned it up from Harry's perspective yeah. and freaking, you know, freaking him out. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, the, we'll, we'll try and analyze it closely when we get there. Um, then we get to the part where we're still with the cops and the Dementors have ceased answering questions about the other person mm-hmm. they saw and they won't say why. Um, which imagine <laughs> be how like annoying so that fr- would be. I know, like so fucking frustrated, especially because their I, whole relationship with the Dementors in the first place is like uh, they like sort of boss around these monsters and like have a horrible time interacting with them anyway. And now they're giving them lip. So literally a horrible time interacting yeah. with them. Like it mentions that like you know hearing it like you know gave them headaches and stuff. So like they're trying to sit there and argue with them. It's like what do you mean no? Yeah. Like why why do you stop answering my questions? Like the whole time you're pushing back a migraine. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> 
Um, Argu- yeah, these things suck. Corpse. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Dumbledore is just casually is like, well, I guess I'll just walk the whole spiral from top to bottom and see if anything turns up, <laughs> shall I? And kind of like that's that's me sort of just picturing him being a little playful. And then he does that again here. And she's like, Albus, even you can be ambushed. And he says, nonsense, my dear. The wizard said cheerfully as he strode off yet again, waving as though in admonition his 15-inch wand of unidentifiable dark gray wood. I'm invincible. So is that a, like, what's what's up with the 15-inch dark gray wood something-something? Is that, that seems I mean, weirdly specific. Yeah, so we so we know from canon, and this isn't a spoiler for Methods of Rationality, because oh, I have that's one the, with me. That's the other one? Yeah. Gotcha. I mean... At least I think that's what we're led to believe it is because yeah. I happen to have with me right here, although our audience can't see it, a 15-inch wand of unidentifiable wood with a little seal saying official prop or something, so or official replica, nice. not official prop. <laughs> that's the one from the movie. It was 40 bucks, not 4,000 yeah. bucks. Um, but yeah, I bought this like several, several years ago, and uh, it looks just like it's described. Um, and I think it was described as 15, it was definitely 15 inches in the canon book. So I think that if you're a, between, you know, if you're a, eidetic reader of the canon books um this is supposed to say he's got the elder wand and this is just like that's what makes it really funny is we know what it does it's supposed mm-hmm. to make you basically invincible right yeah and so he waves it at him he's like nonsense i'm invincible he's oh, shaking his okay. invincible stick at him gotcha. <laughs> uh, gotcha. and of course they don't know what that means so then like there's just one of the junior horrors who was like did he really just say that <laughs> he's dumbledore not even fate takes him seriously anymore <laughs> He's allowed to tempt fate. Fate doesn't pay attention. Right. He's Albus goddamn Dumbledore. Albus Brian Dumbledore. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How is that the first time this has come up on this podcast? Hasn't it? I thought it had. I don't know. He's, he's got a couple other names shoved in there, too, doesn't he? Albus Percival yeah, Wolfric Brian Wolfric. Dumbledore. I know there's like a but yeah, something going like, on. They've, they've said his full name before. How did we yeah. not point out that your name is also Brian? My name is also David. So. Uh, that's not one of his names. <laughs> But the fact that your name is David is cool. There you go. Yeah. So you go by your middle name? Middle name. I happen to know at least one of our listeners goes by the middle name as well. Uh, I have two brothers that also go by their middle names because my mom is a psychopath. Uh, We don't have to dive into that. Is that like a family (laughs) tradition or is that just a Uh, generation thing? uh, That is, well, anything my mom does more than once is a tradition in her head. So yes. Nice. I think the other guy that I know (laughs) does this, it's also like a family thing. They all go by, all the guys go by their middle names. Yep. That's what we do. Huh, weird. I'm really mm-hmm. glad I go by Steven and not my former middle name, Joseph. My That's current middle name is now an old surname, and going by Catholic no, would be really, like, not a first-person, first-name-sounding name, like, name, so... Yeah, it'd be sort of exotic, though, so... It would be. Yeah. Yeah, all right, as long as we're on the subject of names. <laughs> when we were on our honeymoon, um, like, my wife booked it, and then we split the cost, but since she booked it, we were mm-hmm. under all the stuff there under her last name. Mm-hmm. And so the whole time we were there, I was Mr. Cadillac. And I'm like, <laughs> I love this. Every time we go to, go to uh, like, on holiday, I'm going to be Mr. Cadillac the whole time. Cadillac. It's perfect. <laughs> so anyway, cut back to Harry. He's sitting on the bench in a bed of a cell. And he's, like, hiding under a blanket. And you can tell that there's a Patronus coming and a powerful one because the fear is receding. Mm-hmm. And so he's just hiding perfectly still. Bellatrix is invisible under the Deathly Hallow. And then... Um, like there's footsteps approaching and then they leave and uh that's all we get i think in this cut yeah um yeah that like the way that of his the way that was, plan the way that was described though it was like oh this yeah there's something to that that's got to be 
it was more than just for dramatic effect about oh you almost got caught yeah it, I, I'm that's, a very shallow reader which is why I wanted to do this with the experienced reader because I read that as like a ooh you almost got caught moment um, but yeah I'm super into reading into things that's kind of the point <laughs> of this doing this long form like this right um, it, it definitely could be indicating yeah. something yeah I felt like it was just like it was otherwise unnecessarily emphasized so I don't know I could be wrong no it's still cool um let's see so basically i mean we already know where it's going at this point and it it is not clear until like basically they take off i think that's supposed to be the reveal um we get that he's doing something dangerous that it involves burning something and that uh actually i don't think we get that only that something could blow up i think it's about all we know we don't know that it has anything to do with the well spoil it immediately he's got a rocket on his broom (laughs) <laughs> um, but I think uh, he's transfiguring either the fuel or the rocket out of an ice cube. Yeah, that he I think he's just straight up water made from his bag. That he just made. Oh, is it that he like had a rocket and made the fuel? And, like, and it wasn't really described because they don't don't tell us at all what it is he's making while while he's doing it. But I guess I thought like, oh, he completely transfigured a rocket out of thin air. But no, I think I think he transfigured a rocket. Yeah. Um, but it does say somewhere that like you weren't supposed to transfigure things that were to be burned. But yeah. he hoped that since the original substance was water, that it wouldn't cause any harm to anybody. Mm. Uh, uh, that's true. Yeah, but it, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure what part he's working on here. But I, and I'm also not sure if he probably makes the fuel and the rocket separately. Yeah. But yeah, that that's you could that's you could have sold is. me on that he just like had a rocket in his pouch. You could have still be on that, he's except like for, like, Batman where the squared. hell would he get a rocket? Like, it'd be uh, one thing to have, true. like, you know, those rockets you make for the school fair, but that's not going to lift a person, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. An actual rocket that could actually, like, launch three or two people in a snake would be probably pretty beefy. Yeah. I guess, really, be. all it's got to do is, like, launch them, like, you know, a couple thousand feet in the air so they can get, like, enough distance, but... I mean, that's still beefy. Yeah, that's a lot of rocket. Yeah, I never, like, at the hobby store where you could buy the little rocket fuel canisters for the ones you make out of soda bottles mm-hmm. and stuff in uh, whatever grade school. I never got one to go above a couple hundred, right? Yeah. And that's probably an overestimate from my flattering my childhood memory. I think all my rockets suck. <laughs> but in any case, uh, let's see. So he's doing a he's doing transfiguration on that. Then he was going to do partial transfiguration after that. Then we get a scene change. And uh, I kind of like this. Um, you know, so it's back to the cops. Dumbledore comes back empty handed. And Amelia is like, may I ask you to report? And um, <laughs> like, she's it like keeping the edge out of her voice, which is like, cause she knows that he's like, she's not her, or excuse me, she's not his boss. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, all right, great. You know, I'm actually the boss here, but can I ask you to please tell me what the fuck you found? And, <laughs> um, the, other, the other cool thing about it is that it describes that the R teams are working on uh, two levels at a time so that yeah. they don't allow any gap in coverage that the, um, uh, what am I saying? That the uh, prisoners or whatever can jump through, right? Yeah. Or does it say two levels of rivals just pictured that? Uh, that sounds familiar. Although maybe I'm remembering it as like, because they, they're working two sides as well. Yeah, like two sides of a like triangle. I'm gonna clear how that works. Like two sides of a triangle too. So I don't know. In any case, yeah. um, he says like I just did a walk from top to bottom. I examined Bellatrix's cell, found a death doll, and uh, something in the corner for your team to uh, analyze later. I don't want to screw with it. This escape was meant to go unremarked, I think. Um, and we still have no idea what that potion is, other than right. several hints now that it's important. Yes, I mean. 
how important it is is not sure. So I mean, I'm at this point, all I'm assuming is that it had something to do with their escape plan, yeah. or rather, their faking her death plan. But how, I have no idea. Yeah. Pretending not to, I current Stephen has no idea. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I mean, it's clearly going to be a fairly big deal because we've gone to the trouble of making sure that we all know about it a, a few times now. So, yeah. Um, he says, "I saw nothing disillusioned, only the prisoners." And this is the part yeah. where Fox screams at him and. There's condemnation in the the Phoenix's scream, yeah. and it's it. The demand was so urgent that it almost started Amelia running from the corridor on the spot, and he finishes his sentence in distressing condition. And for a moment, the blue eyes beneath uh, the half moon glasses were very cold. Will any of you speak to me of the consequences of their actions? She's like, I did not, and he's like, I know. Sorry, I'm. You know, you know. He, he talks about like. Like Azkaban, as though he's not the grand poobah of the wizen gamut and has sent lots and lots of people there. So that's a good question. I wonder if he ever has. I want to say, like, because at least like in the originals, there was some like the big trials of the wizen gamut, which is like pretty vaguely described as to what it actually is, but like that he was like testifying. And so I got to think because he's, you know, he's a a politically powerful person as well. So I'm sure he's. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not doubting that. And he's the supreme mugwump, I think, is the title. Thank you very much. He didn't go to mug up school to be called whatever you just called him. Um, Grand Poobah. Right, Poobah. He didn't go to Poobah. Well, he did go to Poobah school, but that's not what he's, uh, you know, chaired for. Um, just no, under, I, undergraduate I, I'm speculating that I wonder if, when overseeing court cases, if he's ever sent anyone to Azkaban. Because, damn, that would be tough given how he feels about the place. Yeah. Um, like, I, and I'm also not clear... I got I the feeling he, like, he must have been like Supreme the, Mugwump during the second wizarding or during the wizarding war, right? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't remember. Which would mean that he resided over the Death Eater trials, which would mean that he did send them to Azkaban. Yeah, and I got because in the original books, I think Azkaban was much more vaguely described, and so like the cruelty of it isn't as obvious. I want to say it was just like he was involved in some. Of, I, I want to say like some of the trials and stuff that he would have been responsible for sending some people there, but it wasn't in the original books. That wasn't as much of a of an ethical issue. Yeah, certainly wasn't not one. Yeah. But yeah, like I but I think you're I think I'm right because I think when Draco is spelling out like why the Death Eaters were all afraid that Dumbledore was taking over the world. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He, he put Supreme Mugwump on the list, yeah. which means that he was head of the um the Wizengamot, which would mean that he probably sat in the trials that sent yeah. Death Eaters to to Azkaban, which is given how he feels about the place, quite the shit spot to be in. I'm guessing there's not an alternative. Which, you know? Think of like how that would translate into in the Muggle politics would be like the president is on the jury of any important trial. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Well, and then too, like there's no there's no alternative. It seems like in magical Britain, like there's not community service. Yeah, you know. Well, and plus too, you can't community service your way out of you know working with a terrorist group that's trying to take over the country. But like, I wonder how they punish minor crimes. Probably just fines. What was, uh, Maybe actually community service would be a good punishment. Like if, if your crime was theft and like you stole a hundred bucks worth of stuff, then like, all right, cool. You're going to do uh, $200 worth of labor for this person and you'll do it with magic, but you still have to like work to, you know, that, that sounds. Yeah, what were they going to, I think they were, uh, well, no. So um, Hagrid got his wand confiscated and was told that he couldn't do perform magic. That was one of them. Oh, and expelled. Uh, yeah, it expelled. Yeah, I think like most of the like, rules being enforced stuff from the original books was like with students. And so the punishment was being expelled, but that probably wouldn't work on a regular adult. <laughs> but I think like, so but that was like a permanent as an adult, like punishment was that his uh, wand was taken and he was forbidden from doing any magic. 
that whole thing was such bullshit too yeah like i get maybe that year it made sense like all right cool a monster killed somebody this kid loves monsters we found him with one it's probably his fault i can get how it was a reasonable mistake like whatever in 1967 or whatever Mm -hmm. when it happened but when it came out that they learned that voldemort attended school the same i think i complained about this when uh they talked about the parcel tongue revelation but like you, you think later when they learned that voldemort went to school the same year they're like you know what Voldemort probably killed that kid because Voldemort was fucking there and Voldemort killing people is exactly a Voldemort thing to and, do probably wasn't Hagrid's fault and, 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 probably, and Hagrid so would have been there to like remind people of the fact yeah um excuse me uh, that that's that famous murderer he was at school he was in my class I like my wand back please right I think in the books he had it in his umbrella the whole time yeah I think it was also like not it was vaguely described like maybe not his and maybe it wasn't entirely but yeah like yeah that his umbrella was wandish yeah, or had been taped yeah. back together and shoved in the tube of the umbrella or something. Yeah, I think also that he wasn't supposed to be a very good wizard. Right. Uh, was part Probably of from having half-giant blood. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming giants can't use magic. I hope not. But hold on, that sounds like blood purism talk. I'm sorry, that's, that's <laughs> politically incorrect. <laughs> Everybody knows. It's just, you know, it's not their fault. They're just not that good at it. It's, you know, there's other things to be good at than magic. You know, um, arm wrestling contests, for example, mm-hmm. if you're a giant. You know, lifting things. Uh, punching punching monsters all right so cut back to oh i guess so this is actually the part where i wanted to allude to because or wanted to direct us back to because you mentioned the thing about dumbledore stopping outside the cell like and if he knows that it's harry it seems weird for him to bring this this up like because this is clearly a nod to us i think so um he says, some of the more recent prisoners had scraps of their magic left when I looked upon them, but I sensed no uneaten power. The strongest had only as much magic left as a first year. And so he's able to sense, like he's able to tell. I guess when you're a hundred and something yeah. years old and as badass as Dumbledore. Well, and, just like, but Harry's under no like special protection when, uh, when Dumbledore walks by. And if Dumbledore is able to like sense how much, whether people are powerful, then he should have been able to tell that Harry was there. He says that he sensed no one stronger than a first-year child. Hmm. Except Harry is stronger than a first-year child. Is he? He's like, a first-year child. He just turned a... He turned... Uh, oh, yeah, but he's stronger than all the other first-year children. In magic? Yeah, I guess so. No, nah, Hermione is stronger than he is. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I think Draco might be stronger than he is. He's just... Uh, just... What's the word? Bunchkinny. <laughs> Bunchkinny. Yeah, he... Well, he's got his, his, his funky... Patron. Well, I have that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you describe that Patronus thing as. I mean, so yeah, that like his killing Dementors isn't just the magic, but is that Patronus thing that he's powerful magic, or is that completely separate? I think if so, it was powerful with magic, like he would be able to do other magical yeah. feats. I think the Patronus is a special case. Yeah, I hear that. I think there's still a like a a not dismissible argument that uh, that Dumbledore should have been able to tell Harry was there and is uh, and is lying. Totally. No, so, I'm, I, I'm totally willing to, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not fighting on it. I'm just, I'm pointing yeah. out where I was, how I didn't make that connection, yeah. but time will tell probably. Yeah. And especially, yeah. For him to not have opened the door. Cause it's so he could definitely could tell that somebody was in there and for him to not look is suspicious. Well, apparently he looked cause then we get a cut back to Harry and, um, uh, it's Bellatrix. So he's working on his partial transfiguration and then, um, She's like, my lord? And he says, you may speak now. She says, that was Dumbledore who looked upon us. And pause. Interesting, said Harry neutrally. (laughs) Um, He was rather glad he had not noticed at the time. That sounded like a rather close shave. So, like, 
it looks like maybe Dumbledore's just running by and looking in all the little whatever yeah. those little gated holes and all the doors or something. It does, uh, but later it like uh, talks about like oh he casts seven spells or something, so it, it kind of goes out of their way to to show that he's being very thorough. So who Dumbledore? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, like at the very end when uh, when Fox says, oh, dude, they're over here. Like he was in the middle of like something about seven spells or something. He was at some other cell that wasn't where he needed to be looking. But it was like as he's in the process of like going cell to cell that he's being like super thorough. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah I will. When we get there, I will have to take an extra note of that. Um, so then this is where we're getting a little more clues about what the plan is, but not really it's, there's not enough to put it together in my gentle opinion if any of you got it before it said this is a rocket uh let me know i was but, the, uh the so when it said like the this is i so i googled the phrase at the end because uh, i have never seen army of darkness um but so, so then when it was so this is my or what is it what's the actual quote is boomstick is what the yeah um something about screwdrivers or something uh listen screw up heads. primitive screw heads yeah um Basically, so yeah, once, with, yeah, with the with with the word boomstick in my head, then I was thinking like, oh, it's just some kind of bomb. I, yeah, that's what I was thinking like all the way up to the moment that they were like flying out there that he was just gonna like drop a stick of dynamite or something. I'm like, what's that gonna <laughs> do? Is he gonna like blow up the whole? Yeah, I think I was thinking like, oh, he's gonna blow up the hole with the dementors, and I don't know what, how that's gonna play out or what that's gonna do. But yeah, I definitely wasn't thinking rocket. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Um, yeah. The in Army of Darkness, he. Like, so this is the sequel to um, Evil Dead. And it's like, basically, right after that movie ends, I think he has this chainsaw hand that he made in the last movie. It's re- it's ridiculous. It's like that awesome comedy horror from the yeah. 80s or 90s. Uh, 80s, I think, definitely. And so, like, right after that, he gets, like, sucked into a vortex that, like, takes him back in time. Mm-hmm. And he has his shotgun and his chainsaw hand. And there's a bunch of demons and shit there, too. And then so he's talking with, he's like yelling at the crowd. And he's like, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Because he's got his shotgun mm-hmm. and his chainsaw hand. So he's like, you know, able to kick ass. And, and he's fought monsters before. But it kind of just goes full. I know there's a word for it. And it's eluded me this whole time I've been thinking about it. Um, it's not slapstick. It's just like, it goes just full zany with it. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. If you have a free 90 minutes, I would definitely <laughs> recommend checking that movie out. I did see the one scene. The one that, it was funny. Yeah. Um, like they did a, I think a one or maybe two season TV series in the last few years, uh, with the same actor. And, uh, I think it was called Ash and the Evil Dead. Yeah. And it, it was, it was okay. It was hard like to watch it in a long form TV series, but it was the same kind of like, okay, cool. There's these horrible monsters attacking, but this is really funny watching and it's supposed to be really funny. So anyway, that's where that line comes from. But, um, yeah, there, he, the, the the funny part is for some reason he couldn't not think of uh this quote and he's like he'd only get the chance to say this once and probably never get a better chance to say it ever again or think anyway if he couldn't say it um <laughs> he hadn't seen the actual movie but he'd seen a preview and for some reason the phrase stuck in his mind the tiny golden you know what this all right i'll finish my thought sorry or i'll finish the text and i'll get to my thought the tiny golden letters upon the muggle device said all right you primitive screwheads listen up which Oh, so you know, that he, is the phrase written on the broomstick? Are we, um, we yeah, know. I think we on know the know rocket part of the broomstick. On the rocket, okay. But in any case, like, it says that he hadn't really put them there on purpose. That said, I would remove them on purpose because if I don't know, since I don't know, Harry doesn't know 
what kind of magic technology they have around Azkaban. If there are magical security cameras that record stuff, which why wouldn't there be, that can zoom in, because why couldn't they, because they're magic, what if they saw that text on there, and someone's looking at that, and Dumbledore's like, that's got to be fucking hairy, mm-hmm. right? That could be what gives them away. They're like, oh, that's a, that's definitely something muggle going on. Well, it's a rocket. They got a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't that's know a good point. That already are. screams Harry Potter, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Or at least it screams muggle fan. It's hard to say. Um, all right. But so we are on to Weasley. 58. And fun fact, the author puts just like the short code for like YouTube video dot, you know, yeah. equals whatever goes in the URL for the trailer for Army of Darkness. And all I saw was a couple characters and an X and a Q. And I thought for sure that was the Rickroll URL um, or the uh, the Rickroll shortcode. It's not, but it there's a couple similar similar characters. So it actually does take you to the Army of Darkness trailer. You know the Rickroll URL on site? No, I apparently don't. But I know a couple of the characters of it. There's a Q something something. So <laughs> when I saw a Q there, I'm like, oh, he's Rickrolling everybody. So that's why I grabbed it and plugged it in the long way to check. And turns out it wasn't. So... It would have been really funny if you Rickrolled everybody. Just saying. Or actually make one that starts out with Army of Darkness and flips to the Rickroll. That would be funny. All right. So this is the part where um, he's standing there and he's uh, he's got his, his muggle device that's basically a rocket glued to a broomstick. And... Uh, yeah, so it's all like it's all been vague. We don't know that it's a, a rocket on a on a broom and we also don't like, and he's transfiguring at the wall. We don't, we don't really know yet. Like what the hell it is he's actually doing other than he's trying to make a hole, but we don't really know what he's doing. So what he's doing is making, he's turning a circle, a a cylinder. He's taking a cylinder out of the wall by turning a very small part of it into oil so that the metal will just slide right out. Uh, But we don't know any of that uh, right away. We just know he's doing something and he does describe quite a bit at, uh, like how much he has been practicing to do it. Yeah, he's been doing partial transfiguration work conscientiously, not luckily, yes. um, for an extra hour every day. And apparently that's the only class where he's ahead of a Hermione in, which I don't know if we knew that. <laughs> um, it's been so long since we've been at like school and Hogwarts sure, yeah. and grades that like it's weird to think that that's part of the story. Um, anyway, so uh, he's thinking, all right, this is like actually really dangerous. Like someone might actually genuinely get killed dangerous. And... Uh, he is just thinking like this, this could explode and kill us. You know, the interface could fail and we could fall into the pit. Like the R's could shoot us. Like yeah. this is just stupid dangerous. Oh, and this is where he gets into like the ethics math. Cause he's saying like, Oh, there's like a 20% chance that we could die, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Well, so basically he's thinking like, okay, this is exactly where like professor Quirrell taught me to lose kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And as dumb as that lesson is, this is one of those things where it's like, I need to actually be able to, well, excuse me, I, th- I think that the lesson maybe wasn't uh, delivered in a way that landed with every audience. But like the, the general lesson is like, you need to be able to, to like admit defeat, whether that's like from like, you know, if you're actually like a general leading an army or like, I don't know, you've taken a big stance on something publicly and it turns out that you're wrong. Like you need mm-hmm. to turn around and finally eventually say, Okay, yep, you're right. I was wrong. Um, you know, just to make it political for a moment, because I'm thinking uh, of that sort of like, what other context is it that you're supposed to just stick to your guns forever? Yeah. So, like, you know, like the president was like, I don't know, six or seven weeks late on admitting that there was like any actual concern with a uh, pandemic. And so he eventually turned around and never said I was wrong. He managed to just try and gaslight everybody and said he was on top of it mm-hmm. from the beginning. 
but he is you know now saying yep all right this is a actual pandemic etc imagine if he was still denying it and still holding rallies and like telling everyone this was a hoax like he was in february right um it would like if he hadn't lost and and publicly changed his mind even if that's not what he admitted he is doing it'd be a much more dangerous situation so like the general lesson is like all right you need to be able to give up and uh concede if that like that that option needs to be considerable to you and so this is the part where his hufflepuff is saying his inner hufflepuff is saying lose and then lose said the voice of professor quirrell in his mind and lose said his mental model of Hermione and Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick and Neville Longbottom and well basically everyone knew except for Fred and George who would have gone for it in a hot <laughs> second. But I liked it like that's framed within like so he doesn't he doesn't choose to do that but that is within all well, of circumstances the, change. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, circumstances change, but I don't think like it wasn't a solid decision he made. I mean, it was, it was cool, but it was it was him like succumbing to weird ass quarrel brainwashing like he he because all of his all of his justifications about quirrell are very like kooky stockholm syndrome um and so i think like him choosing not to lose uh i think it's it's just part of this like succumbing to quirrell craziness so i think i mean which makes it like so that is like a, his this idea of oh should, you should be losing now is solid and he doesn't follow it but he should have yeah i think like the only I, I, I agree with what you're saying, except for, like, he, he does follow through with it until the snake wakes up, turns into Quirrell, and then improves his rocket. And the odds well, yeah, go, but, their odds of su- their survival go way up. But it wasn't, but it, it's still, like, that didn't change, like, whether or not he should turn himself in. Like, that was all like, oh, your plan isn't very good. But, like, he was going to turn himself in to, like, sort of, like, leave the craziness of what he did and, like, acknowledge, like, oh, no, we've, we have established now this dude is evil, so why am I? And it's, And he's got this very weak argument like oh well maybe there's some explanation for it and i just haven't heard it yet like it's all super flimsy um and yeah so there's no reason he needed to change from his plan what when quirrell woke up he didn't like change you know other than like oh i'm gonna make your rocket a little better and and make bellatrix stronger like there wasn't none of that really like changed like whether or not so yeah the odds of of getting away got better but whether or not he should whether or not he was supposed to turn himself in wasn't um, wasn't super contingent on like the success, like the risk of going away. It was more about like, oh, he doesn't need to go away, but they do. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And he was more succumbing to just his weird like cult following of Quarrel. Like he, that, that was really what he he wanted to keep Quarrel, uh, and and he just worked backwards from that. I think that's a big part of it. And I mean, could you? I can't imagine Harry staring down Quirrell and saying, "No, I'm going to go surrender to Dumbledore." Yeah. Like it's one thing for him to agree to that when Quirrell's unconscious, yeah. but he could have, to and that. he and he totally was in that in that moment. I don't think that was an accident either. Like, because uh, um, he was in, he was speaking Parseltongue, he could have told Bellatrix. Well, I guess Quirrell could have um, could have transformed up, but like he, he had that moment where he could have just said, "No, go," and he 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 decided not to. But it seemed like there was a second there where he could have, even though Quirrell was saying, no, don't do it, he could have sent Bellatrix off with him anyway, and he chose not to. That's a good point. He could have spoken to Bellatrix in yeah. human speech and said, Bellatrix, take this man and leave. Yeah. And then what? Then what's Quirrell going to do? Boss Voldemort around? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Because yeah, at first so I was thinking, like, oh, stuck, he's a he snake, there's nothing to good about it. Yeah, he was able, like, he could have at any moment turned himself back. Oh, yeah, but he would have been, and he would have been Quirrell, because he wasn't polyjuiced anymore. 
So if, oh, that's yeah, a, if that's he turned back, then he would. I be didn't cool. actually catch that. If he turns back yeah. into Coral or not, I'll have to. Yeah, um, no, that I'm was that right was that was described that was described later that uh, and that's why like they had to I can't remember what exactly what this, they did but Harry had to do something basically so that Bellatrix couldn't see anything so that when Quirrell uh, turned back into Quirrell so he could go magic things up um, that she wouldn't see yeah and it did describe it as like oh because the Polyjuice had worn off oh no um, it does uh, uh, I'm I'm skimming fast but it it had said that uh, like. So Quirrell tosses her a potion, and then they both order her to drink it. Um, oh, yeah. What's that about? Because I think it was, like, describing it, – it mentioned this specifically. Like, oh, she can't see him, so – I guess I'm not sure. Because yeah. we I don't describe, uh, like, what – yeah. Because it's never been clear, like, if she saw Quirrell, would she recognize him? Like, we don't know. Does Quirrell look like Voldemort? We don't know. But was uh, well, it, don't, well, I mean, uh, someone would recognize Voldemort, right? Yeah. Half the Order of the Phoenix works at Hogwarts. Well, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, but we don't know, does Quirrell, so if Quirrell is Voldemort, is Quirrell just like Voldemort taking over somebody's body or is like is that literally Voldemort? Like, we don't know. I got to think like, yeah, if he was literally Voldemort, then uh, then probably Dumbledore would recognize him. But but yeah, I think like it was definitely like he's gone out of his way to not look like Quirrell in front of uh, Bellatrix. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess... Uh, I wish I had taken a note of this. I'm trying to skim while we're on the air. Because if she wouldn't, if she wouldn't serves, recognize him, then, why, um, then he wouldn't bother. He wouldn't have bothered to apologize himself if she wasn't going to recognize him anyway. I think maybe he, I, maybe I think maybe just the idea of not looking like yourself when committing a crime is a good so. idea if you have the option. Um, so let's see. Um, oh, I think so. Here's here's what it is. Uh, she he tosses Quirrell tosses her the potion. They both command her to drink it, and then. Um, for it was evident to anyone that this snake Animagus was a servant of the Dark Lord and a powerful mm. and trusted one. So I think she well, thinks so, yeah. the snake is... And she doesn't recognize Quarling. Yeah, I guess not. Mm. Um, in any case, we jumped ahead a little bit. So, um, But I, yeah, that was a really good thing I wanted to, to find out. So worth poking to, to find. Yeah. Um, yeah, Harry is thinking, like, all right, cool. Well, I'm not going to risk a 20% chance of dying. So then he thinks of the... Uh, like, well, I can't, you know, let Quirrell just die in Azkaban and whatever. And then he's like, oh, wait, there's an obvious solution. Let Bellatrix and Quirrell escape on the broom, and I stay behind and turn myself in. And then that's where, like, a calm came over Harry as he thought yeah. it. And he's like, oh, man, yeah, that's it. That's the, that's the outside-the-box route that I should have thought of. This is perfect. Um, yeah, and I like the description. It was sort of like, like, oh, he's discovered the sane answer and, like, the calmness that comes over him to be like, oh, okay, that's what a, you know, a normal person would be trying to do right now. And that, like, takes a lot of the anxiety out of it for him yeah i like that description too like just the oh man i've got the same the the same uh conclusion and like this the sense of calmness and then he's like perfect i'll just you know i i could just have bellatrix obliviate me so i won't have to admit that i was tricked and um <laughs> it's just funny because you know bellatrix would never ask why the dark lord would order her to for yeah. her to do that but if if she did he's like well you just you don't get to know that bella mm-hmm. um then to cut back to the cops and then i like this like it's just a, a little throw not a throwaway it's just it like the, the, the little cuts back to the cops are like mm-hmm. again five seconds per thing and so they're about three quarters way down azkaban and i think harry's got to be on the lowest level so i mean they're they're uh-huh. closing in and then there's a distant sound like a tiny tink Noise coming from far away, like a very loud sound come from the second to lowest floor, say. 
Amelia looked at Dumbledore before she realized and, and before she managed to stop herself. And then this is, to me, Dumbledore kind of being Dumbledore again, where he kind of nods and smiles like, well, since you asked, and you went <laughs> off yet again. Since you asked, you didn't, but since you asked. Yeah, because she, like, she kind of impulsively looks at him when yeah. something weird happens, and it's like, oh, man. Oh, and, no. and she had said, like, Amelia said, some, like, there's significance, like, she knew something about the second to lowest floor. I, she just managed it, like, in the narration for her POV, it just kind of pinpoints where it sounds like it came yeah. from. No, it's, but it's not, she said something else, I didn't uh, quote it, but she said something about, like, that, like, there was some other bit of subplot about she knew something else was going on on that floor. Oh, yeah, she, she just said she was betting that they were hiding on the second to lowest floor. Yeah. Part of her wish Dumbledore had thought to check that specific floor more carefully, and part of her was glad he hadn't. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. There's something like she knows something that we're not being told. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, maybe we missed something with the uh, architecture description of Azkaban. Maybe hiding on the lowest, lowest floor is a bad idea for some reason. Um, and maybe something the third to lowest floor is uh, not far down enough. I'm not sure why she would say yeah. why she's betting on second to lowest. Yeah, well, yeah, my read of that was like, oh, maybe this is like another clue for something. Yeah, so I just like, I stuck a pin in that one. It's like, oh, that might have significance later. No, yeah, yeah. that's a um, a good place to pick a, put a pin. I just don't know what to, to uh, put there. Um, yeah, cut back to Harry. I'm doing all the talking again, and I realize I'm thirsty, so that means I'm definitely <laughs> talking too much. Uh, so, oh, yeah, so the big hunk of metal. So we basically get back in, um, and so this is the whole... So we get to, it was like kind of a cool description. You can picture that because it's a six foot, uh, what did they say? Two meters. Is that what he said? Anyway, yes. a, per, a person sized hole in the wall that he slanted. So it would just like fall out and go clunk. So it's like this ridiculously large, heavy piece of metal. Uh, it would be like lethal if it fell on you. Um, but, and then he like, sure sounds like yeah. It. And then he magics the, the oil back into metal. Um, and, and then that's where, uh, if, I don't think I'm missing anything in between, but then that's basically when he gets in this sort of like quandary with, um, with Quirrell and he's about to, um, oh wait, have we, yeah. And that's where we get to the whole like, oh, he's about to, and then Quirrell wakes up. Yeah. yeah so, um, let's see. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So here's, here's where you yeah, got so, the seven yeah. spells from. And I, I missed that this time, man. I was going too fast. Having read this two or three times in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> um, so yeah, the... The, the thing wakes up Quirrell and you get the snake saying, what was that noise? And then we get a two line break to Dumbledore and it's just, he's striding through a corridor and he already knew that the cells were empty, but he spoke seven mighty and discerning incantations mm-hmm. before he moved on. And so like when he reported to Amelia the first time, he said that if they're hiding, they can escape by mere glance. And now he's not doing a mere glance. He's doing like deliberate checking spells. Yeah. Oh, so now he's being thorough and he wasn't before. Yeah. yeah, it would be it'd be little enough exertion in total with so few cells left to check. Dot dot dot. Because now that's gonna, that's our clue that he's closing in, right? I'm going to stay with being paranoid about Dumbledore just because that's more amusing. Paranoid? How? <laughs> Elaborate. That is uh, awesome. Paranoid that uh, that he's that careful then that, that he's so careful now that he probably really did know that Harry was in that cell. Well, then why is he wasting his time getting back to him? I yeah, exactly. I don't know. I still I don't know. There's something. Something fucky about walking in front of the cell and then walking away. Don't like it. Don't like it. All right. Noted. <laughs> no, that's good. I like it. Um, 
so then this is where Harry gets this whole like, and it's really fun to listen to in the audiobook because um, like the parcel tongue, like Inyash overlays it with like kind of snakeish hissing, mm-hmm. and then it's like it's got already these snake noises behind it, and then he carries out all the S's like they're written, <laughs> and so. Um, he says, teacher, are you all right? And he's like, teacher, where is this? And the snake's all like, you know, uh, bamboozled. And <laughs> he says, prison. We're in prison with the life eaters to rescue a woman. Life you and, eaters. I. and I don't want to read the whole thing, but he, he basically says like, look, I walked a killing curse. There was resonance. You've lost consciousness. I had to, I had to defeat the cop myself. Um, I had to, def- yeah. I had to dispel my guardian charm. Um, schoolmaster's here. I thought it was interesting that his parcel tongue word for Dementor is a life eater, as a, like the opposite of a death eater. That's a good point. Yeah. Huh. I I mean, I, I picked up on life eater. I picked yeah. up on that as opposite of death eater. Good. Yeah. And then that's sort of like the like, oh, the, the not evil part of being a death eater, that you are anti-death. Hmm. I am more persuaded towards your argument from earlier, because that's a very convenient name. Of course, yeah. the death eaters don't speak parcel tongue, but... Um, in any case, uh, no, I like that. Um, then he's like, all right, so I had to devise a new plan without my guardian charm and had to scare off the death eaters without, or the, the life eaters without him. And then he's just like, uh, then finally I cut a hole in this thick metal wall, even though I'm only a first year, no time to explain. <laughs> you must go. If we ever meet again, I'm glad I got to know you for a time, even though you're probably evil. It is good to have a chance to say this much. Goodbye. <laughs> it's just like the funniest yeah. thing. And then he throws the broomstick to Bellatrix, and, or he, he presents it to her and says, get on. Yeah. Now, when yeah. I, I didn't think about it until later that, like, how did he picture this was going to play out? Because once... Uh, once Quirrell like improves the plan, part of that was he makes her stronger. He puts a harness on her so that she'd be able to hold on. Uh, and so I don't, did Harry think that like this weakened, no harness version of Bellatrix was going to ride the broom by herself and launch the rocket? Apparently. Yeah. So, so yeah, not, not a great plan. I guess he was going to say, all right, when the broomstick stops working, press this button. And then when you get far enough, snap this twig, yeah, as I'm assuming what he was going to tell oh, her. Yeah. But instead, the snake just like does whatever the snake version of screaming is and just yells, stop, stop, stop. What do you mean? Goodbye. And he's yeah. like, escape plan is risky. My life is not at stake, only yours and hers. So I'm staying and turning myself in. And the snake just says, no, must no. not, not permitted. Not permitted. <laughs> I like like this whole, the whole way he uh, convinces Harry of all of this is purely just through the force of his like, you know, his will over Harry. Like he's just, there's no, he doesn't have any like actual leverage. It's just that Harry will do whatever Quirrell says. And that's why he changes his mind. And he goes through a whole, like, you know, outsmarting him and being like, Oh, you stupid child. How did you think I would murder people? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but it all is just sort of like Quirrell's charisma over Harry that does it. What do you think of Quirrell's argument that he didn't actually try to kill the cop? Oh, I like it. it uh, I liked how it was done because it was that, uh, that uncomfortably plausible like okay i still don't i don't believe you anymore but i hate how much doubt you just put into me uh and that's what i liked about like so like i don't believe it um but it's solid argument uh it's not so solid but it's definitely very plausible like oh you can't just dismiss it um and that's what like makes it all like more evil and uncomfortable is that you can't just dismiss it out of hand i think for me the most compelling part of it is that if I had thought if I'd wanted him dead, he would have been dead within seconds. And it's like yeah. that's a good point. Like you, you had a little fun fight for I don't know a minute or two. It doesn't 
describe how long it went on. Oh, that could have been like but, he could have just enjoyed the sadistic little fighting part of it. Totally. But like if he wanted to kill him, he would have just done it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and except so, like if he just wanted him to think he was going to kill him, he wouldn't have like literally, you know, like if Harry hadn't blocked it, he was going like, to, like the guy wasn't going to dodge. I don't think that was going to really happen. Um, and that's well, what he said. Well, then he would have pushed him out of the way with his own magic, for yeah. boy. Yeah, see, I'm like, ah, no. Nah, yeah, that, that sounds shaky. Yeah, right? that's, yeah, I mean, it's all shaky, but it's like plot. You can't just go like, oh, no way, but you're like, I'm not buying it. But yeah, I like that. It's sort of like, like you like how your little comfortable certainties about things, and then now they're suddenly not so comfortable. It's like like when you're like just having an argument with somebody, and you're totally convinced of your side of it, and then they say something. It's like, oh fuck! Like oh, like I don't agree with you anymore. But shit, it's not much of a slam dunk anymore. Right, and most importantly, is it's enough to sway. It gives Harry plausible deniability because like it was heartbreaking for him. Yeah. To like ah oh, damn it, my mentor is evil, and now he's like oh. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah well. he totally. Yeah, he would. He desperately wants to be talked into this, and so he, because it's still a pretty like lame argument. Like even like any of those those things are not. They don't really go at the core of yes, but you don't need to go with them. Like then then you're just trusting like Quirrell's unspoken motivation about why that needs to happen, which is apparently so that Harry can rule all of England. Um, but yeah, that, like none of those things, like they don't go at the they don't beat down the logic Harry had for the decision he was going to make up to that point. But he, but he doesn't like that decision and he would like to be talked out of it. Yeah. I think he is really excited about the possibility of actually getting to keep professor Quirrell as his yeah. mentor, which, which like, is like complete, it, like he's totally, he's thoroughly accepted that Quirrell is evil, but now he doesn't want to think about that too hard. Yeah. Now he's got enough plausible deniability to talk himself out of yeah. it. And you know, that's what I, as a meta note for like the book, that's what I really like is like, in the, I don't know at what point we start getting these moments, actually fairly early on, but they're not like, you know, super truly salient. Um, like, especially in the first few chapters, you get the sense like, great, this is going to be some Mary Sue character that like is just going to come in and be like this perfect rationalist, uh, like Spock character. And he's going to be right about everything. And he's not going to be, uh, you know, tricked. He's going to, cause he's going to be too clever. He's going to be too smart for everything. And we have a character that like, is is admittedly he's smart and it's it's not unfair like it's not uh it's it's fair to say that like he, he but he's not like he's not so smart that he is above deceiving himself like mm-hmm. he he goes on about like oh no i'm a rationalist so i'm not going to be tricked but we see him get tricked all the time yeah. and like that's not because it's bad writing that's because harry is an unreliable narrator of himself right yeah. and I, I like that because like we can see like dude you're talking yourself into this and he's like uh, no, I don't uh, think I no, am. I'm okay, it's fine. But, but because because I'm a rationalist, I give it, th- because I'm a, and that's the thing, he's, he's to be fair to, like, what real rationalists aspire for, they aspire to not be as dumb as Harry is. <laughs> um, they try to do better, but, like, for, for Harry being a, you know, a novice at all this stuff, his, he's like, no, no, because I'm smart, I've actually considered that I might be rationalizing, and I decided that I'm not. Um, yeah. Well, and, like, Quirrell is, to, like, the the ego stroking Harry does for himself about being a rationalist is exactly what Quirrell is to him. Like, like the weird egomaniac part of, of Harry's like perception of himself as a rationalist is so that someday he can be Quirrell. Um, oh yeah. So that's part of yeah, his, Quirrell... yeah. And so that's why he's like bends over backwards to talk himself out of this shit because like that, like underlying emotional motivation for all of this shit for him is like Quirrell is 
so like pushes that button for him that he'll do anything he can to, to keep doing it. Yeah. He just desperately wants this guy around. Yeah. And, uh, again, um, it's, it's clear to us that he's rationalizing, but he's, he's smart enough to be, uh, dangerous with his own thinking. Right. He's yeah. like, Oh no, I'm not rationalizing. Cause I consider the possibility that I was, and I'm not, I just love thinking about it that way. Cause he's, there's a level of like, um, I don't know if you ever took like, if they ever made you, uh, do like martial arts as a kid, but like they, they mentioned this and it's, it's true of, of, I really think any skill where it's like, you know, enough to be dangerous, mm-hmm. but you don't know as much as you think you do. So like, there's this level where like, you're a novice at a new thing where you're like, Oh, I got this. And it just makes you actually more dangerous than you were before. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's, that's kind of where Harry's at in his path to rationality. So Anyway, like, end meta note. We jump back to Dumbledore, and um, there's uh, what what calls him away? Oh, nothing. He's just he's still checking doors. It's uh, uh, it's a uh, fox like makes a noise like hey they're over here basically. Oh no, I'm sorry. It was the uh, it was the fake. It was the Phoenix uh, Patronus. Oh, was that well because they were I wouldn't click because I think they were both involved in this interchange. I couldn't remember which was which because like one is at the is at. Harry's cell and the other one is with Dumbledore um, at the cell he's looking at. I think think what it was was that Harry had recast his Patronus and so another piercing cry Phoenix-like but not the true Phoenix's call. The wizard's head turned and the blazing silver creature on his other shoulder um, launched uh, the whatever, the substance's talons launched the spell entity into the air. So the the Patronus Phoenix screams and goes charging down the hallway. Because it's picked up the scent of the Glowy guy, yeah, because glowy guy came. Yeah, back. okay. I also I also like how it says the old wizard raced off after legs turning like a <laughs> young man of sixty. <laughs> I got a, I got like an image of like, like Jesus sandals, Obviously. like he's like running in his robes and like it's flying up and he's in flip flops or something. It kind of makes you wonder. I don't think it describes what he's wearing. If it did, I missed it. But like we've seen him like you know in his somber purple robes and it like looks like pajamas and stuff yeah. i really hope he's dressed ridiculously but i'm picturing him <laughs> and just like i don't know i realize my i keep tur- black and red in this here at azkaban i keep turning him into gandalf i think that's also because it wasn't gandalf at some point supposed to be described as being unnaturally tall i think that's part of it too but like i keep like incorrectly putting him in white robes and all of this yeah i think that's I, I'm not really picturing his clothes at all. I'm just yeah. picturing this imposing wizard figure. But yeah, the Gandalf imagery lands. So I pictured him like hauling. I pictured him hauling ass with like no no pants on under his his robes, flying up and uh, and Birkenstocks <laughs> on his feet, like sprinting in Birkenstocks. Perfect. Um, so now now it's back to Professor Quirrell, not Polyjuiced, and uh, Mr. Glowy Person's waiting outside while. Quirrell casts some, uh, imp- well, like basically he undoes all most of Harry's work. Mm-hmm. And then um, this is kind of funny. So like three seconds after, the, the Professor Quirrell is holding his own transfigured version of the muggle device. A single barked word to sweep and a sweep of his wand and the residue of glue was gone from the magical item. Mm-hmm. Three more incantations later and the magical and technological were fused together as though they were a single thing and charms of unbreakability and flawless function had been cast upon the muggle device. Flawless function. So That's good Harry spell. felt a lot better about doing this under adult supervision. <laughs> but more importantly, what the hell are charms of unbreakability and flawless function? <laughs> Does that give your car perfect gas mileage? Like, 
what what is the spell of like that sounds like some some god tier shit it's, right uh, there right it's plotus patches <laughs> it, it, it mends it mends all plot holes well i'm going to be thinking for the rest of the night about what what flawless function flawless, is flawless function is how you do with it is you it's how you like strap a rocket onto the end of a broom and then launch it in midair and have that work that's that's yeah sure that's but flawless. if it does that like what can it do to my computer what can it do oh, to my sure. car could it do to our code i know could it make my shit actually work nice. no that that is beyond magic <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, then they throw her a a uh, um, monster a energy drink, huh? Monster energy drink, right? A monster <laughs> energy drink, and that literally makes smoke come out of her ears, mm-hmm. um, or steam rather, steam. like a cartoon. Yeah, and <laughs> this thing, um, she straightened, and her sunken eyes seemed brighter and far more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, th- like. I, did it make her more awake? It clearly made her more powerful. Like, I just love it. That, it like, changed it, it like, it is. It described it as like it changed her to an unhealthy color. Yeah. I was like, but I, so it was a like, oh, the color has changed because she's like become, you know, l- less weak, but not in a nice way. Yeah, not in a healthy yeah. way. Like you said, it's just like, it's like a, a monster energy drink on magical steroids. Yeah. And uh, I just think it's hilarious. Um, so then she laughs and like now it's actually like, you know, yeah. a real laugh. And um, it seems clear that she's at some measure of her power back. And uh, let's see, the professor, defense professor turns back into a snake. And then the Dementor's fear returns to the room, presumably because Harry dispels his Patronus. Um, they jump on the broom and then they shot, shoot through the hole in the wall. And Well, but before that, we, the thing that Quirrell does drop is that um, because Harry's like well why why can't I go and, and that there's plans for me and Quirrell like is willing to say enough of it that because someday you're going to to rule to rule country obviously um, obviously um, so yeah it's just like very quick little drop of okay apparently Quirrell is grooming Harry to be emperor of magical England or something um, oh yeah I, I missed that. That yeah. was also because that was back when he was still a snake. But yeah, it yeah. was. Um, I we we pushed past that. I forgot you pulled that note out. So, yeah. I mean, it seemed like he was kind of doing that during his Christmas speech or whatever. Um, he said it was yeah. obvious that even his noble young friend would have figured it out by now. But did you have any thoughts on that revelation? Um, no, just that it. Uh, well, the, I, actually, I guess for me it was. I guess it's not. It wasn't out of the blue, but I think this was definitely like the most explicit it had been. Yeah, and I, I don't think I was thinking like, oh, he's like trying to groom Harry to be this particular thing. Um, I think mostly what it was, what this stuck out for me was that, okay, we're getting, like that is a very significant thing just being dropped in and we're only getting it very sort of quickly um, told to us and then, okay, we're going to go on with something else. But it, I mean, it is enough of a, like a bomb drop um, that it's like, oh, okay, this is why Quirrell would be like, hell no, you can't stay here. Like, okay, it's a really big deal that he's got to get Harry out of there too if uh, if he's trying to turn Harry into the next emperor of England. That's a really good point. I didn't think of it. I mean, I, I had the pieces. I didn't put them together that way though. Yeah, I think you're right. Like that, it wouldn't be, 
necessarily the like why does he care if harry stays behind like what's what's yeah. the world get out of it and it's like because you're gonna rule the country dipshit yeah and he says we'll say no more now it is time to fly not speak yeah and it definitely had that sense of like, okay, he just told them that, like, that's going to be the first thing after they get off the broom, after they escape. He'd be like, what the fuck were you talking about? Right. Um, yeah, so I guess that is, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, then it jumps to, uh, back to Bellatrix, or back to the, well, we're jumping back to where they're they're shooting out of the hole that they made. Mm-hmm. And Bellatrix shoots up a Pertigus Mac- or Pertigo Maximus, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing is a big shield spell. Sure. Um, not guessing. That's that's what it is, and we knew that because we know Pratigo yeah. is the shield spell that they use for. Uh, um, we've seen Pratigo elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I'm assuming Maximus is just maximum sh- maximum shield spell, and uh, apparently the over 100 Dementors rose into the air, appearing as some to a great as a great mass of corpses, a flying graveyard, appearing to another as a conglomerate of absences that seemed to form one vast rip in the world as they slid upward. That is. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I like to, like, just as they get out, like, then Dumbledore, like, unloads a bazooka into the into the cell. Like, they oh, like they, they just narrowly escaped. And it also, like, reminds you, like, oh, he's really, really powerful. He's been really, really powerful all this time. And now he's trying to, you know, pull out his own big guns. Um, so that was kind of a cool effect. Yeah. I, I want to find, um, where was the, oh, yeah. The voice of an ancient and powerful wizard bellowed a terrible oh, incantation, yeah. and a blast of white golden fire shot out of the hole in Azkaban's wall, shapeless for only a moment before it began to before it began to form wings. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Yeah. So badass. <clears throat> and like, so as far as whether or not Dumbledore thought Harry was in there, I'm going to go ahead and add that to my list of reasons why I don't think he thought Harry was in that room. Yeah. Unless he was okay with literally blowing him up. <laughs> well, no, I guess at that point, like, he knew he was out. So I guess if we were still going to go with my paranoid thing, like, all of that could have been show. Like, he knew, like, if if we're going to be paranoid, he was, I, I don't know what the motivation for any of this would be. But, uh, like, if, if this was an act, then he purposely let Harry get out and then blew the shit out of it to make it look like he was trying to stop them. Although, yeah, if he was trying, like, why would he, if, yeah. Who did he think was, I guess he thought he was just killing um, Bellatrix. Bellatrix. Like, oh, she can't possibly. Yeah. And we have no idea, like, why he thinks that's so important. Yeah. Oh, that's also the other thing is that um, I think the snake is on a harness uh, around Bellatrix and Harry's invisible on the broom. And Bellatrix is the only one that's visible. Oh, yeah. Forgot to spell that out. Yeah. Um, so, as far as anyone can see, she's riding a two, bro- a two person broomstick by herself. Yeah. And she's, and- like, strapped onto it. Right. And a and this makes sense too that she had I think Quirrell's wand strapped to her wrist or something. Yeah, that um, was interesting. like it wasn't just like in her pocket or something, but it was like like at the ready. It was strange. Almost like it was like well, a weapon on it, her. Yeah. Well she she uses it, I think, to cast the Pratigo spell, but like it also makes mm-hmm. sense. I'm glad this is like a thing that exists. It's like yeah, if you're flying and casting spells, like having a way just to like, you know, fuck it, a leather strap that keeps this thing from falling yeah. to the ground and making you defenseless and losing your goddamn wand. Like, <laughs> this this is the why don't you put protective shells in your time machines thing, <laughs> except someone else already did. <laughs> you need a lanyard I, at least. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it does the whole, it, like between, this is my like in little italics between some of the paragraphs, it says, all right, primitive screwheads, listen up. You see this? This is my broomstick instead broomstick. of boomstick. And it's, uh, 
then that's when it he so that th- it's at that moment where we get the reveal it's right after like the anti-flying charms kick in mm-hmm. that like the broomstick is decelerating that then he hits the ignition switch on his rocket and there was noise and there was noise i like this whole scene was a cool but like as soon as they get out and they're flying away there was just like a cool image for the whole thing and like Dumb- dumbledore blowing shit up and it Flight. You can get a very kind of Star Wars image of flame shooting out of a hole. So I was saying like, and then the flame grew wings. Or was that just supposed to be his Patronus blasting through it? Or I'm assuming that uh, the fire took wings and was chasing him. Yeah, like yeah. That, that, I guess that was how I read it too. Like he just caused fire to turn into a flying thing. So I'm guessing it wasn't. I mean, you know, magic as, fire. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of more badass. Uh, he, so his he didn't just shoot an inferno like a volcano out of his wand. It also can chase people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool. And yeah, just like and that they were like flying like almost vertically straight up to try to get out of there, and then they like go into the, almost like an airplane stall as it gets taken out, and then the rocket launches. It's all a very cool visual for the whole thing, and and Dementors flying up out of the hole to chase them, and yeah, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, there Any it is. last thoughts or wrap ups or anything for this one? Um, no, it's the next. Are, are are they no longer called Stanford Prison Experiment? I guess so. No, they still are they for still are? a few more chapters. Oh, okay. Well, then that sort of says about where this uh, where the plot's going to go from here. Then uh, no, I thought that this is all really cool, and this is so. It's been what six chapters in the uh, in Azkaban so far, yeah. Um, um, I'm not, I think they, I don't remember how long they've been in Azkaban. We're in part nine. Oh, part, oh yeah. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's been cool. They, um, no, I really like these. And it's yeah, a bit I wonder if it was nicely pace. on purpose, but, uh, chapter one of the Sanford Prison Experiment was 51, and then 52 was part two, mm. et cetera. So, like, it was really easy to keep track of which part was which. Mm. Um, it, it seems like, you know, too hard to set up to do that yeah. on purpose, and why would you? But... It sure is nice to make it easy to keep count. Yeah, um, yeah no, these chapters were like, um, it was really cool. It's just like all action. These were sort of like the the logical conclusion to everything that got set up in the in the last three chapters because those are a lot of like big revelations. Um, and then this one was sort of like, okay, and this is all the things that happened because of that. So. Yeah, and I think we're going to get to some more of the things that happened after that too. Yeah. But like, it's, I mean, I... I'm sure when I was reading this the first time, I didn't stop to think, and I don't know if I I should have asked you. Well, it wouldn't have been a good question to ask, and I don't know where you would have gone with it. But if I had asked you three weeks ago, all right, man, so they've broken Azkaban, and the foreshadowing is that shit goes sideways. How do you think they're going to, what do you think is going to happen? I don't think the answer (laughs) would have been they're going to escape on a fucking rocket. Yeah, probably not. Um, Probably not. Yeah. But, I mean, things went, like, as seriously as possible. I think it was so cool, like... You know, again, the army shows up with troops and troops of people. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore, Albus, goddamn Dumbledore himself shows up and is stomping through the prison fortress. And, and who is like, it, himself it way more, more way more. Heavy. Dumbledore is way more significant to that whole thing than the entire army of paratroopers. Totally. <laughs> but just like the fact, again, that there's like, you know, whatever ma- magical military involvement is like, oh, yeah, shit went real sideways. Yeah. Yeah. It has kind of that feel. Oh, it's a late breaking bad thing and you didn't see the series which i'm not not going to not spoil it for you because i don't know if you'll watch it but it's kind of an aside and it is that time of night where my asides take, tend to take five minutes so 
I will just say instead that we're going to cover uh, 59, 60, and 61 next time. So the word count's high. I didn't actually read ahead for these, so I am going to do our darndest to make sure that we actually get through all three of them, and uh, which shouldn't be too bad because luckily the longest one is the last one. So Cool. Yeah, 59, 60, and 61. Um, that reminds me, as far as doof updates, I still don't have a date for... Uh, um, game club the new podcast they're doing but Mm -hmm. you can like i said just check out doofmedia.com slash calendar and see when it shows up on there and uh you can check them out on twitch uh they did some play some gameplay of it or not some like i think they broadcast all of it but uh more importantly and this is actually uh you know serious thing for me because i've listened faithfully to every episode for the last couple of years which you know what it has been it's wrapping up i explicitly remember cleaning this house (laughs) Uh, before like after we closed before we moved in listening to the first couple of episodes of we've got ward and that was two years ago this month Um, anyway so the uh the book finished on saturday and they're doing their like last episode recording of it i think tonight the victory lap and then then they're gonna do like a recap thing um next week but yeah so That's 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 the end of we've got ward is uh next week so if you've been waiting for that book to finish because you don't like serialized fiction and waiting for your, uh, you know, not not being able to binge it, um, do check out Ward. It's awesome. It is kind That's of like hundreds of hours of podcast. It's a lot of podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, check out the check out the companion podcast for sure, but also check out the book. There's also a companion podcast to the first book, which unfortunately, to some, very fortunately to others, is sort of required pre-reading, and it's like 1.65 million words. Wow. So. Um, I think that's like a million words longer than Lord of the Rings trilogy. Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a million. It goes by fast. It's a great book, and Ward was shorter and j- different vibe. I could go on and on about it, but this isn't a Ward podcast, and I couldn't <laughs> do it as succinctly as the nice folks at We've Got Wards. So, do check them out. And uh, yeah, man, that's all I got. So, um, no. check us out next week, same time, same place for chapters. What did I say? 59, 60, and 61. Yep. Perfect. All righty. Bye-bye, everybody.